Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Tracks Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. This is week number uh, I'm gonna scroll 85. Top of my notes, 85. That's a yeah. Lot. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, you know the deal. Last week's worst. This week's first. What well, was last <laughs> week's worst? That's the deal, and it rhymes. Hey, worst last week was Voyager. Okay. Uh, so this week we watched The Killing Game Part One. Uh, Wicked Game slowed down and reversed and pitched uh, back up to its ordinary pitch. Hey, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty good. That was very interesting. <laughs> uh, maybe I should just reverse that whole record. Maybe because I don't. I'll like... give the uh, yeah. I'll give the whole thing that treatment and send it over to you. Yeah, because I don't like any other song on that record. I don't think. And um, maybe I would be into that. Um... Well, it turns out that it's a little bit like a latter-day midnight oil song when you reverse the melody mm-hmm. and and give it that odd backwards phasing effect i wasn't going to discount somebody just doing that effect like doing yeah, a song it seems with possible. that effect you could maybe do it with um <clears throat> with a like a an auto wah or maybe just a volume pedal that you were really riding to or an envelope filter of some kind that's the the attack is backwards is the problem, but there are definitely effects pedals that can do that. Yeah. I mean, even on some Beatles records, there's some stuff that sounds like that. Like um, the guitar work in uh, I'm Only Sleeping definitely sounds backwardsy. I don't know if they what they were doing. Um, all right. <clears throat> this one caused us a little bit of confusion because it's a two-parter, but I guess theoretically it aired as one part, but on the DVDs. No, so it, it's even more confusing than that. Okay. It did not air as one part. Like, they didn't cut together a two-hour okay. version and air it. They aired both parts back-to-back, but with, like, all of the credits and everything intact. Okay. So it aired, they aired part one and then part two. So we're doing part one. All right, good. All right, well, I'll get into it then. <clears throat> Uh, Janeway in Klingon makeup is fighting off a bunch of other Klingons when a Herogen guy comes in and uh, taunts her and then stabs her good. Then he beams her to sickbay for medical assistance. Credits. Uh, Voyager is being escorted by a number of Herogen vessels, signaling its capture, I guess, and the Herogen are healing Janeway in sickbay. Um... They decide they're going to transfer her to a more stimulating program instead of the Klingon simulation. So they're clearly doing a let's fight them on the holodeck for sport deal. Yeah, that's at least definitely how it seems at first. Yeah. 
they transfer her. Um, oh, sorry. Cut cut to seven uh, singing in an old club. Some of the audience are Nazi officers. So burned is gonna <laughs> burned is gonna be upset. I don't know if you checked in on him for this one. But. Yeah, uh, yeah. Burned was uh, burned was not pleased about. The, but it, and he he says that in this one they make the Nazis even worse than the Hirogen. Like it's yes. a Nazi that convinces one of the Hirogens to start shooting at them to break orders and start shooting. And also. The maybe there are at least one time the Herogen just rolls his eyes at the Nazi. Yeah, just like definitely. oh my god, these guys. <laughs> this fucking guy tells this Nazi to his face, "You're not superior to anyone. <laughs> you suck." In fact, <laughs> and then just like is so put out by him as he walks out of the room. Yeah, but burned. Why are you so mad about people hating Nazis? I just gotta keep saying it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, just good sense. I mean, it's a good point. You know, he is a German and he lives in Germany. I think he's just mad that that's all you ever see are Nazis. Well, I mean, whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that's what they're known for? Anyway. Look, these are all very good questions. Um, uh, So anyway, yeah, some, some of the audience are Nazis. Tuvok's the bartender and uh, Janeway is the proprietor, I suppose. Uh, we're in Paris, so we're probably doing a French resistance fantasy. It's imp- well, I mean, we're not in Paris, but that's fine. Uh, I that's I do find out we are in a smaller town. Oh, okay. There we um, go. <laughs> but, but yes, at first I thought we were in Paris. Um, it's implied that those playing roles in this fantasy have no idea they are Voyager crew. Only the Hero- <clears throat> only the Herogen know that they're, they're Voyager crew. Um, it's also implied they maintain their personalities and characteristics when they play on the holodeck. Like seven, yeah, seven sounds and acts like seven. Janeway and seven still don't get along, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Except now it's Katrine and Mademoiselle Deneuve. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, you know that when they pitched that, they were so fucking thrilled. Yep. Uh, hey guys, get it? Hey guys, do you get it? It means of nine. I'm surprised they didn't. like that's her fucking last name. <laughs> At any point, do they bother to Frenchify the seven part? No, but it is heavily implied that her first name is probably Sep. <laughs> Sep Deneuve. Sep Deneuve. <laughs> uh, a Herogen junior officer interrupts a conversation between Janeway and the Alpha Herogen to complain the warp drive isn't working so very good or something. Some kind of engineering problem. Um, hey, this guy's no Tony Todd. No. Like, uh, he's, he's, much, he's a much smaller little guy. Yeah, it would have been pretty cool to get T. Todd back for this, but I mean, he got iced, right? I thought. Oh no, they beamed. Yeah. He got captured. They beamed him over. Yeah, we don't really find out what happens to him after the beam out. Uh. Anyway, um. So Alpha Herogen has to go and fix engineering problem or whatever. Uh. After the club closes, Seven and Janeway start to talk strategy. They can't agree on anything, and uh, Janeway's still in charge, so Seven is, I guess, straining to control her temper, um, talking about how best to beat the Nazis. Tuvok and Janeway are suspicious that Mademoiselle Deneuve may be a traitor, but she's their munitions expert in this fantasy. <laughs> so Yeah, that's correct. Munitions expert slash piano singer. <laughs> so anyway, they decide to follow her. Uh, Neelix is part of this thing, too. He's playing errand boy. He's uh, stopped by some Nazis, and his groceries are searched by a Herogen posing as a Nazi. Uh, this Herogen implies that he's not a fan of this game and would prefer to just kill the Voyager crew and move on to the next prey. Well, to be honest, this game is dumb and sucks because, like, he knows that Neelix 
yeah. is Neelix and not a part of the simulation. And yeah, he didn't find the note he's carrying, but like, yeah, he probably read the cast list and knows that Neelix is uh, is a part of the yeah. resistance. Well, it's like the Alpha Herodrin. Imagine the Alpha Herodrin having the meeting up front being like, all right, so we know who they are, but we have to pretend we don't. We have That's to play right. by the rules. We could only catch them if they do something in front of us. And the rest of the Rojan rolling their eyes the way he does at that Nazi. Um, well, like, I think uh, we'll find out what this guy's motivation is, but I think he would have had a better sell for these guys if he had just convinced them to play baseball. <laughs> just to channel their energy into beating the Voyager crew at baseball. Yep. And I'm honestly not sure which one I would rather watch. Uh, this is definitely not... I told you offline that I looked at my notes after I was done and didn't find one joke. Yeah. That's how little I thought of this. It, <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't even find any humor in it. It's just boring and terrible. Um uh, anyway, he doesn't find anything and Neelix is back on his way. Uh Balana is at that club now too, helping with decoding allied broadcasts. Um cuz they're getting getting messages from the the allies. Uh, they determine the allies are invading soon, and they're being asked to sabotage enemy communications in advance of that. Balana thinks she can get into the German HQ to find the radio equipment because, big reveal, she's carrying a German officer's baby. Yeah. Uh, this one's not a Herogen, just a hollow Nazi. Um, he's in the middle of an ideological argument with that alpha Herogen. Um this guy really, again, respects the rules of the game, so he just lets Balana be alone with this with this Nazi. Yeah. She just walks in and he's like, oh, cool, this game's going to get more exciting. Oh, this will be fun. Oh, no, 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 don't tell me. Don't tell me what you're going to do. <laughs> That's right. I want to find I out I was later. never here. Uh, but the other Herogen, as we discussed, they don't, they don't agree. This time, when they spot Neelix, this next time, they just start shooting at him. Um... A gun-toting seven temporarily saves him, but they're both they're both eventually gunned down. In sickbay, a Herogen doctor and Schmullis are hard at work repairing the various injured crew, uh, playing in all the different programs. Schmullis argues with the Alpha Herogen about this whole crazy game. Um, but the main guy, he says he needs to keep the simulations going, and he can't turn on the safeties because then there's no challenge. Then we see Harry Kim expanding the holodecks into the surrounding sections so they can do more cool hollow business. Voyager, I guess, is going to eventually be turned into a big floating holodeck, it seems like. Uh, Kim and the Doctor are working on a way to turn off all those uh, implants that everyone on the holodeck has that keep them thinking they're in the simulation. Um, the Doctor says he'll use Seven to uh, help him from inside the holodeck. Interestingly, it is not clear at all to me that they need to do this because the guy, well, we'll see later, but the guy comes in and he's like, here's the last one. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. So this was winding down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, we get our motivating exposition in a conversation between the Alpha and Beta Herogen. Basically, a war for the soul of the Herogen civilization. The main guy wants to evolve and survive. Uh, he's afraid that they will stagnate and they won't have a society anymore, or maybe that they already have, because all they do is um, rove around the galaxy looking for things to kill. 
the so anyway he thinks the holodeck's gonna let them keep hunting and then actually focus on like rebuilding their society and uniting instead of living like nomads out on the hunt uh Shmalis wakes up seven and explains the situation apparently this has been going on for 19 days so that's a minor voyager time jump yeah it's not even really a big deal for voyager no uh, Seven's going to be returned to the holodeck, but she's going to keep her memory and sense of self. Um, she does indeed get sent back to the holodeck, but her memory comes back after like a few seconds. And she has to like leave the stage and uh, immediately starts to fight with fake Janeway and fake Tuvok. And uh, they decide that she is actually a traitor. Even though she I just mean, doesn't know what's happening. But they're still going to take her on the mission. <laughs> yep. Well, she is their munitions expert. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of times this week where a character knows that they shouldn't do something and then just just does it. Mm-hmm. They just do the thing and then they're like, I guess I wasn't thinking about the consequences. Hey, so why don't you start? Hey, man, are you an adult? Yeah, give it a try. I was listening to an old brother date and we were talking about an uh, Enterprise episode where Trip. Trip and Reed were going to go down this shaft into this future ship. Remember the one that was like all spacious on the inside, even though it was tiny on the outside? Hey, I no? don't. Okay, well, it was like a 31st <laughs> century ship. Anyway. Okay. Um, And he's like, I'm going to go down the shaft. And Reed's like, hey, maybe we should tell people where we're going just in case. And, and was, this the, was this fucking Caldano? Was this the, yes. Cal- the Caldano shit? Okay. And he's like, we should tell them where we're going, you know, just in case. And Trip just looks at him and goes, no. And then they yeah. just go down the shaft and they get lost in there. And then you're just like, well, they didn't even give him a reason. They just had him say no. <laughs> All right. Um, so anyway, uh, she survived that shootout earlier where her and Neelix were gunned down. So that's why they think she's probably a traitor. Um, then we see TP and Chaco playing American soldiers about to invade, having a dumb conversation that is really just serves no purpose at all. It does nothing. It does absolutely zero for the plot. Except like so that we do not care. Who cares about what's happening in the simulation? Yes. That does not affect actual Voyager. It's weird. It's like, well, that way we can set up that he and Bellana are dating on the holodeck too. And it's like, yeah. I, boy, I really don't care about that. <laughs> That's nothing. Who, like who gives a shit, man? Yeah. Um. Uh, back to the club where the team is preparing to assault German HQ to take out that radio. Seven isn't that good at 1940s era explosives, which makes her seem even more suspicious. Even though I'm very familiar with the history of World War II, I couldn't build a bomb if you put me in that simulation, so I sympathize. Yeah, why would and why would the Borg have known that? Yeah. Uh, Herogen hunters interrupt Kim and Schmollis plotting uh, back in real life. By the way, Kim and Schmollis are in this episode a little bit. Almost everything <laughs> that happens happens on the holodeck. Yeah. Kim's about to get busted, but he plays off these Herogen's fear of getting in trouble with the Alpha. So um, he gets sent on his way. Uh, Back in France, the team makes their way into German HQ for this caper. They plant their charges. And at the same time, Kim and Schmollis start their plan on the outside to turn off the uh, devices. So they got to do it one way, one at a time. Because Janeway gets hers turned off. Yeah, 
That's as far as they get. Yeah. Janeway in character sees Seven messing with some fucking Voyager bioneural or isolinear bullcrap and assumes that she's been betrayed. But right before she shoots her for being a traitor, the doctor wakes Janeway up. Find a panel in the holodeck, Shmala says, and it turns out it's just behind some books. (laughs) It's just... Is just just available to everyone in the holodeck if you just move the books. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Shmolus is immediately caught, so no one else wakes up. Um, fake Tuvok ambushes the Herogen hunters sent to the holodeck to retrieve Janeway, uh, and the Americans invade at that very moment. So Chaco, Tipe, and Tuvok are huddled together. The Americans target Nazi headquarters and they blow it up real good with Janeway and Seven hilariously jumping away from the explosion. Mm-hmm. Like every no, it's a great blue screen. I don't know what you're talking about. Like every scene from their UPN uh, colleagues at the Sentinel. Um, but because there are no holodeck safeties, the explosion damages Voyager itself. And Chaco and TP and everybody can see into Voyager's corridors and decide, yeah, it's a Nazi bunker. And yep. they invade Voyager. They start marching into it. And I guess it's a to be continued. Yeah, boy, I guess next week it's going to be uh, World War II era American troops <laughs> shooting up the fucking corridors of Voyager. <laughs> yep. Oh boy, hey, this one that didn't really pretend to be about anything. What's it about? Uh, Ben says there will always be a resistance, and he gives it a three. Um, Okay, it's true that that Kim and Shmolis are sort of mimicking what's happening on the holodeck. Uh, But also, the other side of the story, the Herogen have deliberately set up a resistance scenario. Yes. Like they picked... They picked one, so I don't know about that. Um, I, I'm going with cultures that isolate, stagnate, maybe. Okay. There's barely a take in this one. Brandon Raga just thinks alien Nazis are cool. Yeah. Uh, what was that worth? Listen, this is the assertion of the Alpha. Yeah. It does not have any bearing on the rest of the show. When we learned, uh, when we got the info dump on these guys a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. we were immediately like, well, this could never work. (laughs) This society makes no sense. Yeah. So I do like that this guy's here going, look, our society makes no sense and we got to do something about it. And here's my brilliant solution. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like... I'm going to get everyone to play video games instead. It's kind of like the creator of Voyager or whoever was running it at the time said... Uh, make sure you put a scene in there about why they're doing it. And then, like, they returned a lot of dialogue, and they went, not that much. That's too <laughs> Less much. than that, please. <laughs> I want to do a lot of capers on the holodeck. Give me less than that. Um, I I don't know. I don't know about this idea about... Like, it, this culture seems impossible <clears throat> to begin with. And so his assertion that if they just keep doing the hunt and nothing else, everyone else is going to pass them by is, like... Maybe it's true, but I already don't know how they're getting ships and weapons. Yes. Who is their military contractor? These guys seem like they're pretty much on par with Federation technology. So, like, uh, how are they managing that? Maybe. Maybe it's going to be okay. I don't know. Uh, And also, I don't know what to do with it as a take. So, I I gave it as many as three because you had a guy come out and say it. But, like... Yeah. 
Ugh. Yeah, I had a version of that. I had evolve or perish. So I guess what he was trying to say was, I think he said that their society was garbage because they'd been doing this for so long in this way. Like I mean, he definitely, he definitely suggested that they had once been a centralized civilization mm-hmm. and that now they're just on the hunt. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, so doing things the way they've always done them is a bad plan. And like, though there, as always in real life, there is a portion of the population of this country that feels the opposite is true, that we should go back to the old, the old dumb ways. Well, I mean, that's sort of what this guy is trying to do, right? <laughs> Which guy? Uh, the Alpha. He does want to go back to the old dumb ways pre-hunt. Uh, yeah, but he sees it as a... He says that they need to evolve. So he does. Right. He clearly doesn't see it that way. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, anyway, I just have to say, duh, and no, who cares? And um, I will also give it a three. And that's literally uh, the about, only line in the episode that could make you think it's about anything, and it's not about that. Yeah. Well, it's not, but the rest of the episode isn't about anything. Yep. So, uh, how did it execute? Um, I had it as a three again. So, it's like somebody literally said out loud, what if the crew had different jobs and identities each week and they were all teenagers? <laughs> I mean, the episode is about nothing. It's just a fun Halloween party. Um, these actors are terrible at reading this period-specific dialogue. Uh, TP. Was that supposed to be... like oh, bio- When he said about her great gams, and you were like, well, they, first of all, you sound like you don't like them. <laughs> yep. So, you knew that was supposed to be good, right? It's a good thing. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, in-universe, are we supposed to think that Tom Paris is just not up to the task i mean this is like this is a hundred percent his holodeck simulation right oh yeah he loves the 20th century and he loves fucking france that's true you know that when he plays this simulation it's a sex he uh he goes in there and uh he does he does three lines of dialogue with the actual owner of the uh resistance bar Mm -hmm. then he fucks that singer and then that's it. He don't care about the Americans or whatever. Well, then he loses all motivation to play the rest, so he just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, this is this is dumb. I'm wasting my time. I gotta go do something productive. Um, I was surprised, actually, given that... Remember that Moon episode with Chaco? I was <laughs> sure. a little bit... Surprised. That he wasn't looking at the moon and uh, pinching his hand or whatever the fuck he did? Yeah. I was a little bit surprised that the scenes with Kim and Schmellis weren't also in a simulation. And the simulation was the fight to take back Voyager. <laughs> yeah, it really could have been, huh? Yeah, I was, I was worried at first. I was like, I don't really remember this part of the episode. Is this also a simulation? Um, all in all, not their best it, effort. It could have been, right? Because we know that they, there is at least one simulation on this ship of the yeah. actual crew on actual Voyager. <laughs> yep, the one where they... Uh, do a uh, where the Maki Maki, yeah Maki rebellion this is ben's main uh quote in his ex- take on execution which he also gave a three where's the one where the Maki mutiny <laughs> yeah that should be that's uh, somebody's running that one right now on that ship yeah we know that neelix is over there in the klingon one at the end of this but yeah. who's running that one yeah i it's not their best work i could only give it as many as three and only because you know 
they didn't attempt anything. Um, so it's, they're not going to get a lot of points, but it's not like most of what happens in the holodeck isn't that bad. It's just, why am I wasting my time on it? What's it here for? What are we doing? Yeah. Um, uh, you're a three, Ben's a three, I'm a three. I guess it's slightly interesting that there's a whole act we never see where the Hirogen capture Voyager mm-hmm. and start all this mess. Like, at least they trusted us to pick up on what's going on. I mean, Schmellus doesn't even explain the timeline to seven until like 40 minutes in. Yeah. Um. And at least, like, if they're going to make us do dumb alien Nazis in World War II... At least this is one of a whole series of conflicts, and they already did, like, a Crusades one, and they're doing some Klingon shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's oh, yeah. all better than actually going back to World War II. Yeah, it's better than actual aliens going back to actual right. World War II and working with the Nazis. Enterprise. Yeah, but there was just nothing fun about this one. I mostly wish they'd spent twice as much time discussing this guy's vision of the future of their society and half as much time in St. Clair. Yes, absolutely. So, it just comes down to mismanaged minutes, you know. That's Voyager's staple. Yep. Uh, And uh, in terms of world building, I mean, I liked the nod to the fact that the Hirogen Society is dumb and impossible. Mm -hmm. And I guess that they also sort of expanded the hologrid throughout the ship, although we'll see if that doesn't get all blowed up in the next one. Oh, look, the week after part two of this thing, Voyager will be 100% good as new, totally normal. So, yeah. Uh, so I gave it as much as a two, but the fact of the matter is there's no actual world building happening here. Yeah, Ben has it as a two as well. He says holodeck bullets stay as fragments in sickbay. My only explanation is that when they beamed them straight to sickbay, there's hollow emitters in sickbay too. Mm. Well, there are. So that must so. be why the fragments stayed there. Uh, and that you can replicate <sighs> hollow emitters. So you can replicate all kinds of shit when the script calls for it. Um, yep. And the Voyager doesn't have enough energy, but don't worry. This guy's going to send over some power modules. <laughs> yes. Hey, are those like... Uh, are those like little Honda generators? <laughs> little Honda gas generators or something? Yep. It's what he uses when the power goes out. Uh, the problem is Voyager doesn't have enough power. It's not that they can't get the power. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they know how to make limitless power, and that's why their society is such garbage. Um, <laughs> well, let's see if I had anything else. Um, it's difficult to turn Voyager into a big holodeck. Kim seems very put out by it. Um, those implants that they use to make the Voyager crew think their characters in the holodeck... Uh, the Rojan and all the thoughts they have about the hunt and what it means for their society. That's really the only interesting idea in the episode, and they don't really explore it. Um, I gave it a two. Well, so far we're in lockstep. Yeah. How did you feel about characterization? Although they do keep their personalities, they clearly are not themselves, everyone on the holodeck. They don't know they're in the French Resistance, or any, like they don't know they're not in the French Resistance. So most of the characters don't really count. The only people who do are Kim and Shmolis, and in the end, Seven. Um, and Kim and Shmolis are just fighting to retake Voyager. They don't even need motivation, so they aren't given any. It's like the motivation's obvious, so we don't spend any time with them. Yep. Um, so I could only give it a two. 
for not much effort made. Yeah. Um, ben is a two also. He says Jerry Ryan is not doing a good job of acting like she's singing. It actually was her singing. But of course it was, you know. Recorded. It, it's for, it's a recording booth. Yeah. So she is lip syncing. So I guess that's valid. Uh, I wonder, did she go to the producers and say, let me sing? Or did they, were they doing that to really needle, uh, what's her name in real life? Uh, Mulgrew. Yeah. Then he put in some stuff from the Deep Space Nine episode. Oh, so, did he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Kern. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he talks about Kern a little bit. Well, that's a spoiler for the last one we talk about this week. That'll okay. be fun. Well, that was a uh, He gave it a two. Uh, listen, I'm with you. Who's real in this one? Harry Kim, Schmollis, and for 10 minutes, seven, yeah. and they're all just retaking Voyager? Right. They don't need motivation because it's so obvious, so they don't give us any, so what are they doing? Yeah, there aren't even character moments, really. Like... Harry Kim bluffing that guy. Yeah. That's the character moment. I guess. Schmollis is upset that he has to keep patching these guys up. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I gave it zero. Okay. <laughs> That's, I mean, I don't disagree. <laughs> I try to save my zeros for when they do something awful. In this one, yeah, it was they just didn't, they didn't do anything. Really. They didn't do anything atrocious, but they. this is this is an episode that does no characterization work. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point. And I, boy, I have so few quick hitters. Yeah, go for it. Um, who's playing Crusades on this ship? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Who thinks it's real cool to be a Crusader? Boy, yo, I can't think of one person that makes sense for. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty messed up for anybody, huh? Yeah. Voyager just keeps running into these guys who are unhappy with the status quo in their society and willing to do anything to change it huh yeah or maybe like all they got left is a lock of their wife's hair uh-huh. in a weird yeah. in a weird glass pyramid <laughs> yeah i guess anorax was the specific <laughs> other person i was thinking of <laughs> i also thought like, of him during this i was like oh we're doing a version another anorax right here yeah except he doesn't have any cool weapons he just captured voyager and was like wait what's that holiday yeah yeah it does seem like it was an accident i wonder what because he had no plan when he captured voyager unless I don't know how he would have gotten that information. And then he was like, this could be the answer. Everyone could, like, get it out of their system on the fucking holodeck. And then they could go to work. You know, have a society. They could go to work and, like, start a bank or something. We could learn how to make bridges again. That's right. I gave Best Actor to, I guess, Carr, the alpha. Yeah. Because he's the only one who has a scene. And Worst Actor to any Nazi guard. (laughs) <laughs> they were all pretty bad just and just pick one yeah. the lieutenant any of the others anybody who opened his mouth how did you feel about balana's nazi boyfriend and what the whole thing he was doing uh where I he mean, talked like this we are the greatest in europe and it's our job <laughs> you're just like oh wow he's someone told this guy someone showed him some bad stuff they shouldn't have showed him and said yeah do this I, I didn't love it. I'll be honest. Okay. I didn't love that guy, and I didn't love what he was doing. But also, he's only in one scene, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, Like, I presume inside the simulation, he got blown up in headquarters. Uh, yes, and he's probably sleeping in the barracks somewhere in there and got blown I up. Just, I just don't expect to see him next week, is what I'm saying. Uh, uh, I think- ben has... 
I think you're probably right that every part of next week is going to take place in the fucking corridors of Voyager, probably. I mean, that's my expectation. Yeah. Ben has no quick hitters. Did you have anything you wanted to add? I did not, because I did not care about this. <laughs> this was, uh, listen, this is not the worst executed Voyager episode. No, but I is it maybe the least amount attempt? No, Twisted. Twisted attempted less than this, but is this one of the least... Uh, one of the least amount of effort put into a Voyager episode. Yeah, just at no point did I care. Just at no point did I care at all about this. Like, the stakes are impossible to believe. Yeah. Like, we know that this is not going to be... Voyager is not going to be trapped in this weird hell where they keep dying in these simulations. Yeah. Like, you can put Kaiopaka there. You can't put the whole Voyager there. Yeah, the most you could do is a two-parter. Exactly. That would be it. Uh... And we know that everything that's happening inside the resistance simulation doesn't matter and isn't real. Yep. Oh, yeah. The, the fact that they don't wake them up earlier is really crazy. Like, that we have to yeah. keep playing French resistance. Yes. So, really, it's just like watching a TV show that can only spend one episode's worth of budget mm-hmm. about this. And it, it's so it's, it's just the worst possible version of a French resistance world war two story that there can be. The actors weren't cast for the roles. They're all playing weird semi versions of the roles where Tuvok is still a Vulcan and seven is still still a a Klingon. And yep. Right. Um, it's just, it just has nothing to say about world war two. It is nothing. You know, I didn't bring it up, but the alpha Herogen, he had a weird respect for Voyager's chain of command. The way he put, Janeway in charge of the resistance and Chaka was in charge of the Americans. Uh-huh. He didn't like randomly end up where Neelix wasn't, was running the whole show or whatever. <laughs> Seems like it could have <laughs> yeah. since like, uh, Janeway was a Klingon f- at the start of this episode. Uh-huh. So they fired up this whole simulation after that or yeah. was maybe she was a running the resistance until Janeway was done being patched up. <laughs> maybe it was uh, Naomi Wildman. Or her mom. I don't remember which one's the daughter and which one's the mom. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, it was uh, 40 minutes that felt like two hours. So. Definitely. And we get to, uh, well, the, here, it's the part where I ask you, Matt, are you excited about next week? I'm 100% not excited. By the way, I can only assume it's going to be worse. Because the episode's <laughs> not about the anything. Half. There's nothing <laughs> to pay off. So all it, it's just going to be 40 minutes of Commando Raid to retake Voyager, and I am not excited about that. So, I mean, this, this is the thing, right? Uh, that This episode is as if they intended to air the whole thing as a two-part movie, mm-hmm. because the ending is not an ending. Yep. The episode does not work at all in a standalone fashion. Yeah. And it's like, um, but then the network wouldn't let them or something, or who knows, right? It's... So, it's not great. But hey, we're done talking about it. Yeah, time for Enterprise. Yeah, that's right. The next one we're watching this week was uh, Enterprise. We watched Daedalus. Uh, I trip for some reason in my head oh. in that he's just saying that I've got spanks and briefs. Yeah. So that's 
You want to double it up. Really keep it contained. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, uh, here's the deal. Uh, Trip is real nervous because his hero, the father of the transporter, Emery Erickson, is coming aboard. Yeah. A guy who, it uh, turns out, is like Archer's second dad. Yep, we never uh, really heard about him until now, but yes. Yeah, that's, listen, that's fine. Archer was mostly talking about his real dad. He had a lot of feelings about that. Yep. So I guess that's fine. Um, anyway, this guy is coming aboard to run some kind of test. Uh, he beams in. He's in a wheelchair. His caretaker is his adult daughter, Danica, who is like uh, Archer's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, this test that he's running, he says, could render Starfleet obsolete, but we're going to have to wait a minute to find out what it is because instead we have to do a relationship scene here where Trip tries to get T-Ball to open up about her mom's death. Yeah. Because she died last week and also last week. And by the way, when this episode is on, you can tell that they um, forgot about that. And then somebody <laughs> said, hey, shouldn't we have her do something about her mom? Because she just yeah. died. Well, her big reaction to this has been that she's just been uh, reading the Kirshara a bunch. Mm-hmm. She's uh, getting getting religion, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we go to the captain's table. Erickson explains that this is an experiment in sub-quantum teleportation, and it could allow you to beam from Earth to Vulcan, or theoretically, to any distance. Oh, damn. You can just beam from planet to planet like a goddamn Iconian. No starships required, etc. He does not explain... I think that there are probably still some other functions for ships that could be yes. uh, used. But uh, anyway, he keeps he does a lot of jokes about putting Archer out of a job. Yeah, I love the idea that we're supposed to think this is even remotely possible, given that this is the prequel show and that yeah, yeah, no yeah, yeah, one yeah. in Starfleet has that technology later. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you know, the um, the title of the episode is going to give you a clue about it anyway. So yeah. uh, he also talks about the history of the invention of the transporter and all the resistance the idea faced from various sectors and camps and he really gets fired up talking about how he had to fight for it and he's also extremely confident that he's going to succeed mm-hmm. which it turns out is uh, weird is <laughs> all um, of his work is just really good acting by this character yeah that's right <laughs> he's just he's just getting himself all riled up while his daughter looks on um, but I guess they didn't read the script. <laughs> Enterprise reaches a barren area of space called the Barrens, hmm. where there's no star for a hundred light years. Now, when Enterprise first went a hundred light years from Earth, <laughs> they made a pretty big deal about it. I like that you didn't so wait like, for execution or uh, quick hitters. <laughs> We're just yeah, in it. I'm just well. I took very few quick hitters. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I guess this area is pretty close by too. Yep. It's got to be at least a hundred light years away. Well, I, just that just seems natural. Yeah, I, I have in my world building the Barrens, a spot without a star system within a hundred light years. So they flew at least a hundred light years. Yeah, so they've been flying for months to get here. <laughs> yep. What good would it be to fly there if you didn't head to the middle? So this place is um, very far away. <laughs> yeah, but even the edge of it has to be at least a hundred light what years I'm away, right? But they might be further. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, boy. Um, Erickson in engineering seems a little cagey about this power converter he needs to install, and he kind of bullies Trip into letting him install it himself, Yeah, which is the maybe the first sign that something's weird. 
Uh, and then we see Archer taking Danica on a tour of the ship. He's trying to convince her to join Starfleet, but like she's an adult, and I don't know how that's supposed to work, or also what her position in Starfleet would be. Maybe she's going to be. The, Archer seems pretty confident he can get her in. Maybe she'll be the first of the fifty-year-old crewmen, or whatever, something like that. Uh, but she's worried about her father, and she tells Archer how obsessed he is about the death of his son. Yep. And then she goes to their quarters. And she has a big argument with the old man about how they're lying to Archer and how he was Quinn's best friend. Mm -hmm. Something like a spatial distortion affects the ship down near the armory and passes through one of Reed's men and melts his whole face and kills him. Yeah, we got yet another fatality. Yeah. I mean, there haven't actually been that many on Enterprise. They, uh, a lot. A lot more people die on TNG. <laughs> well, I mean, 18 died in that one episode. Yeah. So for sure. But that was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Archer goes to confront Erickson about it because I guess this is where he was doing his last bunch of research out here. Which, again, is problematic, but that's fine. And he has no explanation. Mm -hmm. But once he's alone with his daughter, it becomes clear that he is experiment is responsible or he's responsible in some way. She's more sure than ever that she should tell Archer the truth. Uh, uh, Erickson tells her, then you're condemning him to death. Yeah. It, it's not clear from this sense, but he doesn't mean Archer. Yep. Um, they're, they're, they're definitely are trying to retrieve someone secretly. And since we already know whose death this man is obsessed with, I will, I will spare you the suspense. It is his son, Quinn. That <laughs> yeah. is who they are trying to retrieve. Right. Uh, they start the transporter tests. They beam a probe out to 40,000 kilometers. That's the farthest object uh, ever transported, um, which seems pretty good, but it's uh, it's obviously not what the experiment was. Yeah. And Trip goes to Archer to voice a bunch of suspicions because... None of the stuff that they had to do was even used in the test. Yeah. Like, none of the setup was used for this. And uh, it turns out that Archer is also suspicious because he fucking read the ship's logs of the last ship that was out here with Erickson. And so uh, he knows they've seen this anomaly before. Yeah, for a rare instance of Archer actually doing some work. Yeah. He, like, after this guy's face got melted, he went back to the fucking books and went, all right, what the hell's going on out here? Yeah, so in a in a scene we did not see, he had told Trip to keep an eye on shit, and Trip came back and said, "Yeah, actually, we didn't. That was all fake." Yeah, I mean the tr the transporter did real good, but like, yeah, it turns out this guy who invented the transporter is good at transporters, but that's not yeah, what he's we were real doing. good at it. Yeah. At this point, another anomaly appears on C deck. Uh, Archer and the crew go after it. It, it passes through T-Pole's hand and wrecks that up pretty good, but luckily she got it on video, and luckily they are able to enhance it, and sure enough, there's a dude in there. There's just a dude you in there. You can see his face. He looks like a GoldenEye character or something. Yeah, exactly. He's got His face is about nine polys, and, uh, <laughs> but yes, it is, it is definitely Quinn. Archer takes this evidence and uh, shows it to Emery. Emery admits that, yep, that's the deal. He's here to bring back his son. They he was lost in the first test of this new transporter, uh, which he knew was not going to work. But didn't know was going to zap his son away. But I guess didn't know it was going to trap his son in a fucking weird subspace bubble, which is what the uh, Barons is. Yeah. He uh, 
begs Archer to help him. I guess Archer agrees. Trip's furious. Teepal doesn't think it's safe to stick around, but oh, uh, his mind is made up, so... Uh, there's another relationship scene. Trip thinks it's weird that Teepal's spending all her free time reading that Bible of hers. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. I'll just cut to the end of that. Uh, she basically breaks up with Trip. Yeah, she tells him to eat it. Yeah, she tells him she's not going to have time to jack him off anymore. That's right. You're going to have to do your own. And do it himself. And then she used real big air quotes. Exercises. Right. Yeah. Um, In the shuttle bay. I don't know why uh, Emery and Archer are in the shuttle bay. Maybe they figured that's where Quinn was going to appear. But sure enough, this anomaly shows up. Passes through an EPS junction. There's a big explosion. Now Trip is pretty furious. He has a big shouting match with Archer about how this isn't safe, but it doesn't accomplish anything. Three hours later, everyone's preparing for this final attempt to bring him in. Wow. They get the anomaly on B deck. They get a transporter lock. They don't have enough power to materialize the pattern. Quinn is dying in the transporter beam in a way that Flox's tricorder can scan. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Transporter's crazy. It acts different every week. They try to convince Erickson to just let him go or send him back into space. It's very unclear what they're trying to convince him to do, and it's very unclear whether he does it or not, but he finishes the transport somehow, and uh, Quinn materializes on the platform, talks to his dad for about 15 seconds, and then just dies. But with no... This is always what happens. People die from transporter stuff all the time, but they always... They come back whole. And I'm always yeah. confused about it. Well, now he's extremely sweaty. Yes, I, yeah, he did go back with a little bit extra sweat. And I guess that's what yeah. did it. Yeah. Uh, but he can see... You know, he can see and hear his dad and talk to him for a, a bunch, but then he, but then he just stops. Yeah, you know what? I'd call that like a ninety nine point nine percent success. Yeah, it was pretty good. His body I mean, was pretty totally much got intact. Him he could talk. He could think, and everything. He just didn't live that long. Anyway, here's the deal. This dude is for sure going to jail. Yeah, because he did a big fraud, and a crewman was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he hopes that now uh, Danny's going to be able to start start <laughs> her life since she won't have to take care of him. Seems like this guy probably could have hired a caretaker. Yeah. He's a pretty he's a pretty big wheel at the transporter factory. But I guess if all you do is schemes and lies, you want to have someone close to you, probably. Yeah, it's prob- that's probably true. Um, he, didn't, he should have hired one of O'Brien's ancestors. Also, I don't know, I guess we're already in the idyllic space future, because he just talks about how maybe he'll get to be a teacher now or something. And it's yeah, like, maybe, wait, the, maybe his prison term will be that he gets to teach people transporter engineering? The fraud? The big fraud? The big liar? <laughs> I, the big murder liar? I hope that's not his punishment. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, good for us in the future, because uh, <laughs> clearly this guy is not just going to get uh, punished. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, T-Pole has a little thing with Phlox where he confirms that she no longer has Pinar yeah. syndrome or whatever, and she tells him, yeah, uh, changes are happening all over Vulcan. This Kirshara shit's been real big. Then she goes and breaks up with Trip, and then the Ericsons beam over to the Sarajevo. I mean, there's no guards on this side, but maybe they could put in jail over there. That's like a transport to take him back to Earth. End of episode. Yeah. Yeah, what's this one about? Uh, here's what I got. You have to know when to let go. This guy puts everybody in danger to try and get his son back, but then Archer helps him anyway, so maybe you don't have to know when to let go. <laughs> You know? 
maybe you yeah. don't because maybe someone will help you anyway uh anyway it's a four it's uh i was gonna say rest in peace kenny Loggins, but it's not who i mean you who mean, did the gambler yeah you mean kenny rogers there we go yeah yeah kenny rogers is also a pitcher right something like that what do you give this one four don't worry it's they didn't execute the take but that's the only thing i could think of on the take was that this uh, guy ben's... just didn't know what to do he didn't know when when to just let um ghost sons lie yep uh it is real problematic that this is the exact opposite of that deep space nine episode the visitor no uh-huh. right <laughs> yep <laughs> this is just like the exact opposite yeah <laughs> opposite message opposite everything anyway I should just give it opposite scores. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ben's a five. He says that uh, the take of this episode is trying to reclaim glory can lead to excessive and foolish risk-taking. I don't think that's what he's doing. Uh, I mean, he and I are actually in the same ballpark here. Because I think this episode is, if you buy into your own mythology and take risks you shouldn't, you can lose everything. Oh, so they're talking about the original time when he lost his son? Well, but this one, too, like, I don't know what he's doing at the transporter, but he wastes about a minute of that beam-in cycle trying to tell everybody he can get him back. Oh, right, yeah. That he he can do it, and you gotta trust him. He invented the transporter. It's the slowest action sequence in any Star Trek, and there's some crazy pan zooms, pans and zooms in it. It's, um, <laughs> it's di- frankly distressing to watch. Yep. This guy was wasting a lot of time. Uh, you say it's the slowest action sequence in Star Trek because you haven't seen Discovery, where characters will very often, in the middle of a firefight or things exploding all around them, spend three to four minutes having a panicked conversation. <laughs> you just go, what? This isn't really the time for this. <laughs> uh, the only So yeah, the fact that uh, Erickson tells Archer that he knew, even at the time that his son was lost, that the transporter wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess he just thought he could push through M- to me makes him a real Kaczynski type. Yeah. So, uh, you know, anyway, don't get a big head like the, like, like the traveler's head. Yeah, exactly. Probably, get a normal sized human head. It's probably a big head. He had to wear a bald <laughs> cap. I assume. Yeah. It does make your head a little bigger. Uh, <laughs> just a three for me. That's fair. Uh, what about execution? Inter- yeah. Uh, Ben's a four. He says Archer yet again making highly emotional decisions with no logic, and he denies that it's personal and emotional. Uh, he doesn't understand the scene where, before the anomaly is detected, Reed and this other guy are just uh, just sweeping with a phaser rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also thinks it's kind of a bland episode. I gave it a three. Okay. This one is kind of a big rehash of all of Star Trek's bad takes about scientists, uh, yeah. except for this guy's not in love with a really young woman. <laughs> yep, that was the only thing. That's like the main one that's missing. If you change that caretaker from his daughter to his caretaker, and then he's in love with yeah. her, there you go. That's Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, this guy's like uh, Daystrom, worried about repeating his past success. Oh, uh, yeah. No, at uh, the time they went, hey, look, black guys can be scientists, but you know. Yeah, bad one. The whole thing is a fraud to uh, trying to recover something that he's lost. Uh, so you know we're re- we're covering very familiar territory, and we're not saying anything new about it. Yeah. Um, there's also again really odd direction during that rescue attempt. With there's like a <laughs> bunch of zooms in on this old man's face, and it's it is very unlike the film language of Star Trek. Yeah. 
It like does not. I don't know what in what. It's like a sci-fi horror like that movie. Is, yeah, sort of like the the only time you would see this kind of zoom in on a character's face like that in the middle of the scene these days, I think there'd be a sarcastic sound effect under it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, because it's, you'd have it's to know like what you're doing. Move. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, of course, when his son beams in, the only thing wrong with him seems to be that he's a little sweaty <laughs> and he dies mid sentence in a way that doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, it's a pretty standard Enterprise episode. It's not the worst one to watch, but it's not good either. Again, I'm repeatedly baffled. I'm baffled every time. They're like, whenever something that is an object gets messed up on the transporter, it comes in just <laughs> fucking looking, melted and a lump. It looks awful. It looks the worst. But then when it's a person, they're always exactly perfect, except then they go, Ugh, and they die. This guy didn't just, like, fall down dead when he beamed in. <laughs> yeah. He exchanged words with his dad, <laughs> who got a chance to apologize to him for everything, and it's very... yeah. I don't, it's very poor. It just seems unlikely. Anyway, it's a three for me. All right, let's see if I got anything in here. Um, well, I wasn't sure what to make of the the trip scientist plot. It was like a never meet your heroes kind of deal. Right. And I thought that's what the B plot was really going to be. But then that just gets becomes part of the A plot where trips. Is, they work so fucking hard to undo it that the last scene, this old man's like, well, it was great working with you. And he shakes trips hand and uh-huh. you're like, ah, oh, see, he was just unfriendly to trip because he was trying to do a huge fraud. Because He was trying to risk. And he didn't everyone. want to get caught. Yeah. yeah. This is not about otherwise. These two guys would have gotten along. Great. Yep. This is not. This is the opposite of in relics when Jordy is so frustrated with Scotty. Oh, yeah. Uh, Frustrated in a way that you would be if your parents were trying to do engineering <laughs> next to you. Yep. Shut up, Mom! Um, Jesus Christ, just let me do it. <laughs> Some more Final Fantasy VIII level CGI on this guy's kid as a as a blob thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, come on, man. Lunar Karate. Okay, okay, sorry. Not a Final Fantasy VIII cutscene. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not. No, like when... Um, when they're about to go into a cutscene and it pauses for a little bit. Right, that transition effect where everything pauses and you still have the normal game graphics, but the camera pans in yes. <laughs> so that it can turn to the exact place where the cutscene's going to take over. That's right. Um, I assumed the end result would be the death of the father in some way. Like as if to... And he'd trade his life for his sons or something. Yeah, and like ultimately that would be, he'd learn his lesson that way. But instead the son just dies again. Yeah. So in a way, like, nothing changes. Again, it is the opposite of that episode <laughs> of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Nothing changes, and I'm not sure any lesson is learned by anybody. Um, and again, this guy saying it might free up his daughter to do something else with her life. She wouldn't be considered an accessory? Oh, yeah, I would think so. Honestly, She's probably also going to jail, and Archer just doesn't want to bring that up. Yeah. I, uh, everything about the postscript on this is like really wild all the stuff about him maybe getting to teach now and all that. i'm just like what's happening i see the daughter's gonna join starfleet what's happening um so i agree it's a three it's just not it wasn't very good at all yep sorry guys do better uh world building uh ben has a three um the inventor of the transporters uh, Archer, I guess, met Zephram Cochran once upon a time. Uh, 
a hundred light year stretch without any star systems, etc. Um, let's see, T pole uh, for me. Um, T pole's reading the Kirshara this week. I, it looks like she has it in regular book form. She doesn't have to stare off into the ceiling or whatever. So that's cool. Yeah, man, they did a quick on-demand print run of the Kirshara for everybody. That's, that's good of them. Uh, this guy said he was working on teleportation across the cosmos, but... Uh, uh, it, by the way, it's only been a week. Oh, yeah, they got that shit out. That was a real rush job. Maybe yeah. she just took screenshots when she was in the uh, room. Maybe. She's got that, like, before uh, Hear the Wind... No, before Pinball 1973 was released in uh, in English, I just had a copy from someone's Japanese Literature 101 class that was a <laughs> photocopy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Or she just used that uh, that bad digital camera she has in this episode <laughs> and used that to scan the room. Um, uh, nothing's ever been beamed 40,000 kilometers before this. Um, I mean, that's pretty far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the protests about the transporter when it was first approved. They raise issues about, like, are you really just a copy when you appear on the other side? Which makes me say yes. Because of all the people that have been revived from the dead that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they talk about transporter psychosis. And that's something that we will someday deal with as well. But I don't know it necessarily from watching this episode. Um, well, that feels like it's going to be soon, doesn't it? Well, we've already seen Barkley. So, I don't... I mean, I you know he, he sticks around till the end, but... I don't really remember what's what the name was. of that one. Realm of Fear? Yeah, it is Realm of Fear. For some reason, I think of that as like a season six episode, but I don't know. Um, you know, it might be. Uh, everything about the Barons. And again, <laughs> how long did it take them to get there? That's week 127, so don't even think about it. Oh, that's shit. Um, yeah, that's two years from now. That's a while. Um, uh, the Barons is actually a curved, a bubble of curved space time. No doy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that. I guess that's why you can't see any stars in there. Even though a region of space that only real characteristic was that there weren't any star systems nearby, you'd be able to see all the stars. You can see all the other stars that aren't nearby. Yeah. We see a lot of stars here from Earth that are more than 100 light years away. Uh, again, like most of the ones we can see. T-Pole's little digital camera, um, the Pinar continuity... The USS Sarajevo. I actually thought because of the, all the stuff they talked about with the transporter, I found that stuff interesting. Um, I did too. And I gave it a four. Well, I also gave it a four. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything else. Like, the Barons is dumb, but it's <laughs> dumb in the Twilight Zone way where they should have just made the number smaller. Yep. <laughs> That's right. We went like we've traveled eighteen thousand miles. If there was a region of space where there were no star systems within ten light years, you'd be like, "Okay, cool. That's still really far." Yeah, for a transporter, very far. Yep. Yep. Uh characterization. Hmm. Uh, Archer must have grown up in some engineering enclave, huh? Uh, yeah, to for his first dad to be the Warp 5 guy and his second dad to be the transporter guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I know that he went to Stanford, right? But did he grow up at Caltech or the <laughs> JPL or, like, where where did he grow up? Yeah. It feels like he grew up in a hangar where they were building starships or something. I kind of Because it seems like he's just associated with all of the different systems. 
I mean, it was somewhere where he could chase this girl around the backyard. Yes. Uh, he does not seem to have a lot of emotions about either the potential rescue or the eventual on-screen death of this uh, so-called best friend of his. It seems like he is maybe at peace. Does does seem that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Also, d- does he not know how this man lost his son? Like, did he not look into it? Was he not aware that they were going back to the very region of space to perform the very same experiment that killed his son? Boy, that's, um, I don't remember how much they talk about it in the episode, but it seems like those would be the kinds of details you could know. Yeah. Uh, T-Pole's going through a big sea change in her beliefs, uh, which could be good because I have always hated her dogmatic adherence to yeah. all the high command nonsense. Sure. So it, it really seems like there's probably only room to improve, even if she's going to get mystical and religious for a while. Yeah, her beliefs are trash. Like, I kind of I kind of would take that. Yeah. let's see, Well, let's at least see it, and maybe we won't like it, but let's take, yeah. I'm willing to take a look. Uh, Tripp's just getting up everyone's butt this week. Yeah. With his hero worship and his relationship trouble and his insubordination. And no one else is in it. And it's really weird because I still don't think a, a trip is necessary in the episode. Because he doesn't actually convince anyone to do anything. Nope. He doesn't convince the old engineer to stop being crazy. He doesn't convince Archer not to help him. And he doesn't convince T-Pole to like, like him. Or whatever. Or to open up about her feelings about her dead mom or anything. Yeah, he really fails just across the board, but he's in every plot. Yeah, he just shows up all over this episode, irritating people and accomplishing nothing. I think maybe they've noticed what we have, that there are very few actors on this show. <laughs> they've just got to stick him everywhere, and as... because at least you understand the emotions his character is feeling. Exactly. Even though his character sucks and is very stupid, what are you going to do? Are you going to put Reed in one of these plots? What's he going to do? You gotta make it a Hoshi episode. You can only yeah. you only got flocks and trip. That's it. So, <laughs> and you get and they don't have that much reason to work together. Yeah. Aside aside from when his wife shows up. <laughs> yep. When his horny wife shows up, <laughs> or when he's playing the clone of himself that flocks <laughs> is teaching. Oh boy. <laughs> you mean Charles? Yes. One of the many Charleses. Oh, oh my god, they f- oh man, I for a little while until you said that I had forgotten that they they raised a clone to harvest its organs. No, they called that clone Sim, right? Yes, but his name was Charles Tucker. They know this. His name was Charles. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh anyway, this week it's a it's a four for characterization. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Um mostly cuz I like where T-Pole's going. Ben gave it a three. He likes the trips trying to console T-Pole after her mom's death. Uh let's see. T-Pole and Trip are, I guess, officially split up. Um, they don't give a lot of... It's true that this is one of those episodes where she the guest gives, does a lot. She gives him the worst excuse, which is, I'm not going to have time for. And he goes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know the sexing. I get it. Uh, Whereas, I mean, his answer to that could have been, I mean, we can cool for a couple weeks. Like, you're not going to be reading that book forever, right? <laughs> you read. Seems like you read pretty fast. But it kind of seems like something he'd actually say. <laughs> um, let's see. Trip is nerding out hard about meeting this transporter guy, but his crazy scientist ways rub him wrong. Uh, also, the guy is plotting. Um, 
Archer's old. Yeah, we already talked about all this shit. Um, we literally talked about everything in here. Mostly neutral, but T-Pole... I said T-Pole's hard to take in this because she was so sullen and whiny. Um, but we both ended up at a four. No. That's what it takes sometimes. Yeah. Do you have some quick hitters for this one? Yeah. I know you did not for Voyager. I did ask if we're finally going to get a crazy scientist episode when this guy showed up. As I mean, we... We just had the augments. Uh, yeah. Boy, I mean, I guess that's kind of the same. Oh, there's so much Spiner in that, and it was a three-parter. <laughs> you don't think of it as a crazy scientist episode because you try not to think of it at yeah, all. Yeah, I try to think about the three weeks of Spiner that we had to have. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You try to think about poor Persis. <laughs> they wouldn't put her in clothes. They said, by the way, this role, there's no clothes. You know that, right? You understand that you're going to be as naked as TV will allow. A right? lot of roles, you show up and they give you clothes. There's like a wardrobe department and everything. There's no clothes on this one. Oh, no, no. Sorry. You misunderstand. We're not asking you to bring your own clothes to wear. Yeah, you literally will not be wearing clothes the whole time. Uh, so that's cool, right? And also, we really appreciate how you've already busted your face ahead of time. That it <laughs> looks just busted enough. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. Um, that was unnecessary, but yeah. <laughs> I apologize. Well, again, all those augments look like they picked them because their heads were the wrong shape. I mean, it is sort of This true. is what happens when you mess with their DNA. Um, anyway, I, I thought another Crazy Scientist episode would make sense because we were, you know, we got to get to that TOS era eventually where there's one in every episode. So, um, uh, it would be great if there was like a little arc about the great proliferation of scientist-led <laughs> expeditions throughout the whole fucking galaxy. Um, One-man colonies and shit. <laughs> Where they just spread out to every planet, one to five people at a time. Like, we got a new rule. One scientist and one 18-year-old girl. <laughs> That's right. You know, for the sexing. Uh, I appreciate this Emery Erickson guy's performance, whoever played him. It's a lot of I-don't-give-a-shit acting. Which is pretty fun. The dude just rolls his eyes and like won't look people in the eye and is generally. Oh, he's got a he's a little bug eyed too. <laughs> yeah. So he's kind of like it works. Um, that's a it works out pretty good. He reminded me of Stims's dad. I don't think it's the same guy, but that's who he reminded me of. Yeah, um, I see it. I get it. Yeah, and just general crankiness. And uh, I was I was glad of that guy's performance, even if the episode was not much. Well, I did give him best actor. Well, there you go then. Uh, and the, it's your turn for quick hitters. Uh, yeah, I have a few. Big scientific experiment. The episode's named Daedalus. It's awful, almost certain to go well. Yeah. You know, like Daedalus. Um, it all turned out really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Worked out real good for him and his son. Yeah. What was up with that dude's back? I was very distracted when she went to give him that spine injection and he looked like uh, like fucking shirtless Kern back there. <laughs> yeah, what was going on? What was the deal? Did they say what happened to him? Was it a transporter whoopsie? I didn't even write it down if they told us. Yeah. Yeah, maybe his son uh, walked through his back. Who knows? And then at, at no point during the big rescue scene did I understand what anyone was trying to accomplish. Yeah. I didn't understand what was going wrong with the beam-in attempt. I didn't understand what he was trying to do, why Tripp said it couldn't be done. You know, I've actually trained but, myself to not pay attention after the 35-minute mark on Enterprise, because it's almost always action nonsense. Yeah. So I don't even remember what was happening. You don't remember the whole thing. You just remember the dude beamed in intact <laughs> yes. and, and then fell went, over and died. Dead! And then he's like, I'm yeah. so sorry, son. And then he went, Ugh. 
I gave best actor to Erickson, worst actor to that red shirt that gets melted. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in uh, in second place last week was TNG. Yeah. This week we watched The Wounded. Do it. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. (laughs) That should be a permanent change. I really like it. (laughs) Well, when I remember to do it, I can just do it live. Uh, We'll do it live! <laughs> Enterprise is on a mapping survey yeah. near the Cardassian border. Ooh. A year after the signing of the peace treaty. Finally, there was and, peace in space after this dreadful war. And everyone is a little nervous about it yeah. in a way that doesn't feel earned. <laughs> Not at all. Like, we've never heard of these <laughs> yeah. guys before. Apparently, this war was 20 fucking years long. <laughs> it was a real problem. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Now that we do know about it, everyone's pretty nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, in their uh, marital quarters, O'Brien gives Keiko shit about her weird sea plant diet <laughs> and promises to introduce her to the flavorless wonder and endless flatulence of <laughs> Irish cuisine. Uh, Enterprise comes under attack from the Cardassian scout ship they were expecting mm. and uh, pretty quickly disables it. It's not a match for the Enterprise. Right. Uh, when they uh, when they've shot it a few times, Gull Masset of the Traeger answers Picard's hail. Gull reveals Alemo. It is Mark Alemo. Don't think about it. Don't think about uh, how his uniform seems like it was cut out of brown wrestling mats, <laughs> and it wrinkles all the time. Thank you. Yes, I. That was my main point about their uniforms: was the constant noise, just the always yeah. noise. Even when it looks like they're standing still, you can hear it rubbing against stuff. <laughs> the worst choice. It really ever is made. the worst uniform. <laughs> and we are very lucky that by the next time we see Cardassians, they fucking worked it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Galmaset uh, reveals that he considers the two powers at war since a Federation starship destroyed a Cardassian science station two days previously. Oh, shit. Um, Picard convinces him to uh, give him an hour to talk to Starfleet, and sure enough, Admiral Hayden tells him the Phoenix under Ben Maxwell has gone rogue, yeah. and it is Enterprise's job to bring him back in. Hey, I already have questions that I didn't write in my notes. Can I interrupt you already? Oh, please. So they tell Picard this, did they not know about it until he asked them for guidance and they looked into it? Honestly, that was the impression that I got. Because if they did know, and the Enterprise is stationed there this week. And <laughs> it's wild that they didn't tell him. They should probably have told him. walking into. They probably should have told him. Because yeah. he's supposed to hey, meet the scout ship. Picard has a big meeting with the Traeger this week. Do you? <laughs> is there anything we need to know so about? We should tell him about this, Ben Matt. No, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> No, 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 no. I just thought about it, and I was like, Jesus, I hope they didn't know. Uh, my in-universe assumption, Nechev was sitting on this one, hoping it would go away somehow, or she was going to send another ship, maybe... Uh, so she's Admiral Fraud. The, maybe the Crazy Horse or whatever. What's... Yeah. Is the Crazy the Horse Crazy Horse is Jellico uh, ship. Jellico commands? Yeah. yeah. Maybe she's going to send the Crazy Horse in after it, and, but unfortunately... She got a call from Admiral Hayden. <laughs> He's like, hey, and you about anything going say, on out there? Yeah, 
yeah, I was listen, we're dealing with it, but yes, <laughs> it did happen. Yeah, that just occurred to me. That's that's baffling. It is baffling. Uh so Picard has to take uh Gulmaset on board as an observer. Uh, Masset seems to have about as much authority within the Cardassian military as Picard has. Like, he's also does not seem like he's calling a lot of people to talk about stuff. Right, yeah. Uh, Picard does a rare back-of-the-bridge conference to tell his team that Masset will be bringing two aides, they gotta treat him like guests, Riker and Worf are real shitty about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Data pipes up at this point and tells Picard that O'Brien served with Ben Maxwell on the Rutledge. Yeah. That'll come in handy in a minute. Well, we're going to learn stuff that is so fundamental to O'Brien and <laughs> and really the Cardassians and everything. This episode is so fundamental to Cardassian shit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The like I think the only thing that doesn't happen in here that would inform Cardassian shit it's, later is no one at any point says why is it so bright and cold in this room. <laughs> and well, look. There's one big piece. No, no one says Bajor in this. They haven't been invented. That yet. is true. The, Bajor has not been invented at all. Not been invented. But all the stuff between Starfleet and Cardassia, ha- like, basically happens in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so Maset comes aboard with his aides, Glindaro and Glintella, mm-hmm. and O'Brien apparently catches Troy off guard with his strong distaste for them. She can feel the racism. She hangs back and gives him a look like he killed someone. Her body is out of the room and her head is still in the room. She (laughs) is just looking at him like, the racism that is coming out of this guy. Yeah, she is horrified and frankly scared by whatever she feels coming off of (laughs) O'Brien. That's right. Um, Anyway, he's in a room with the Cardassians immediately because we're at a briefing. And O'Brien explains that Maxwell lost his family on set like three. During a sneak Cardassian raid that killed a hundred civilians, mm. uh, at this point, Worf calls up with the news that they have located the Phoenix, and everyone goes to the bridge, uh, except the aides and O'Brien, who get to take an uneasy turbo lift ride. Uh, the aides are just trying to make small talk, and O'Brien is one hundred percent shitty to them. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into all the motivations of everybody in this episode, but I definitely got the feeling the aides were on their extra, extra best behavior, mm-hmm. and it got yeah, them you, nowhere. And by the way, especially true of the skinny one. <laughs> yeah, I forget which one that is. I think Dara. I just called him Glenn Tall Guy and Glenn Stocky. So Glenn Tall yeah. Guy is who we're talking. Glenn about. Tall Guy is fucking trying so hard to be nice to O'Brien. Mm-hmm. He fucking hey, you want go? You want go catch a drink? Hey, I heard hey, you man. guys got a cool bar on this ship. On my on my ship, all we got is rats. You seem, you seem cool. <laughs> sometimes the not like sometimes the rats they they bite you. This seems better. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't seen one damn rat yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go drink alcohol. Why don't we go to your cool bar where I hear you guys got like, uh, you got nice seats and stuff. You know what I sleep on? It's a pile of rats. <laughs> it's not great. Uh, anyway, O'Brien gets in this guy's face in a way that sucks. Yeah. Um, Enterprise makes for the Phoenix at warp six and nobody looks or says anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> just Picard has picked warp six. No. no one questions it. But I do love. I don't what think maybe Goma Set doesn't know how fast the Enterprise can go. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but what Masset does want is for Picard to turn over the coded transport ponder frequency and alert nearby Cardassian ships so that they can find the Phoenix. Worf pipes up that this will allow them to put the Phoenix's shields down because I guess he has recently watched Star Trek Two. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a good but, one. But uh, it doesn't seem like that's true later. That's all I'm going to say about it for now. Yeah. Uh, but Picard wants to be the one who makes contact with the Phoenix, so he's not going to tell these guys where it is. Uh, O'Brien serves Keiko a potato casserole while singing the Minstrel Boy uh, song he apparently used to sing with Maxwell on the Rutledge. Then he does a weird thing I where he it. asks her how anyone can be angry, uh, uh, still angry at the Cardassians, and because he's not a racist... Uh, and he feels totally fine about the Cardassians because I guess he thought what happened in the turbo lift was real cool. If, like we will get into it. I will say if that conversation with Keiko had not been included in the episode, it would have scored like 10 fewer points for me. <laughs> that conversation got me so jazzed and I'll explain why later. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. <laughs> anyway, he just to be clear, uh, because of the, of the culinary report in this episode, he serves her the worst looking food I've ever seen. <laughs> it does look terrible, and the look on her face is perfect. Uh, he serves her what looks like hot <laughs> grocery store potato salad, and he acts like it's a big deal. Yep. Oh boy, Enterprise detects that Phoenix is chasing a cargo ship. Ship, and when they won't answer, Picard gives Masset the transponder codes so that a Cardassian warship can intercept it. Yeah. The warship just gets shot all to hell. Yeah, it it lands a couple hits on Phoenix, and then Phoenix just it does a weapons range thing. It retreats out of yeah. the weapons range, but it has superior weapons. It just weapons takes range. a stand back and destroys the ship instantly. Yeah. Uh and then it destroys the cargo ship. Yes. Then what is said- then what does Picard order? Well, I'll tell you, but first, <laughs> Galmaset tells Picard that 650 Cardassian lives were just lost. Mm. So at this point, Picard increases speed from warp four. <laughs> they slowed down. <laughs> they slowed down from warp six to warp four to warp nine. Oh. And again, the Cardassian and plays it real cool because he doesn't go, what? He doesn't say, I told you we shouldn't have slowed down to warp four and or... You can go at warp nine? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Dude, well, I thought six was probably the tops because this seems like so, an emergency. I, no one said anything about when you said warp six, so it seemed like like if you wouldn't go faster than warp six for this, I don't... Okay. <laughs> I'm starting to develop a lot of feelings about you humans. Yeah. Picard goes to talk to O'Brien again, and O'Brien says he doesn't think Maxwell would retaliate out of vengeance and that Picard should be investigating the Cardassians instead. Oh. So, you know, at this point, Picard, uh, I think entirely for O'Brien's benefit, airs his theory that Maxwell has hated Cardassians for so long he's incapable of anything else. Mm-hmm. And it is, he Picard does not look at O'Brien and say, just like you, <laughs> because I did not like what I just heard you say. It's true. Uh, he's more subtle than that. But luckily, O'Brien is at least paying attention a little bit because he takes this uh, right to the bar. And uh, Gull Tall. Glenn Tall Guy. Glenn Tall Guy comes over and uh, O'Brien apologizes. They have a drink. They talk about the Setlick 3 massacre, the first time O'Brien ever killed anything, how it made him hate himself. Although he's still pretty mean. Yeah, he's not nice about the whole thing. And, uh, and Glenn he's... Tall Guy's like, hey, I. Uh, see the uniforms these people behind the bar wear and they're all they're all checkery and everything but they're still better than mine <laughs> have you seen my uniform it's it's can you hear it squeaking yeah you hear that right it's mine's not made great. out of 
Mine's made out of Taekwondo chest protectors. Yeah, my doctor told me my hearing's 50% worse than when I joined the service because <laughs> all the noise this thing makes. <laughs> Says I'll be deaf by 34. Yeah, I know I look old. I'm actually only 29. This uniform is really aging me. <laughs> uh, anyway, in a scene that could have been cut, Worf drags uh, Glenn Stocky onto the bridge uh-huh. because he found him playing around in the computer and Comaset apologizes and has him confined to quarters. Yeah. And Picard uh, never misses the opportunity to score a point by saying, uh, if there is to be a lasting peace, we cannot allow any one man to undermine our efforts, which is a great way of equating <laughs> the death yes. of probably at this point Thousands. nearly a thousand Cardassians <laughs> yeah. with uh, <laughs> this guy trying to figure out how their warp injectors were so efficient or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Very minor industrial sabotage at best. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Picard's best moment. No. Uh, at this point, Enterprise intercepts the Phoenix and Maxwell comes aboard. Uh, he tries to butter Picard up by talking about how he's been out here. He knows what it's like out here. Not like those admirals. Because, again, this war was so fucking long, Picard fought in it in the Stargazer. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's never mentioned it, but sometimes he doesn't really remember the things he did in the Stargazer he, or what the Stargazer is or hair. what it looks like. So <laughs> When he had hair and Wesley Crusher wasn't even born, <laughs> they were fighting the Cardassians. Yeah, this war, dude. This fucking war. <laughs> Uh, Maxwell's excuse for this whole thing is that the Cardassians he thinks are rearming, mm-hmm. uh, that they're taking advantage of this peace treaty to rearm so that they can attack again, and that the science station he destroyed was a really a valid military target. Yeah. Picard wants to know if he's got like just any fucking evidence, and if so, why didn't he report it? And he just tells Picard, "Ah, it smells like a bureaucrat's office in here yeah. you're, you're a bureaucrat you get it you're a bureaucrat you suck he really like resets he's like he's buttering him up and then Picard goes nah though and then he like stops and takes a breath and goes you smell something it smells musty it smells in here musty in like here. a bureaucrat's office <laughs> it's like oh shit he reset his whole fucking demeanor so he could deliver that fucking thing i know and he was probably in his internal monologue he was like ah thank god i didn't get around to telling him about how i saw him win the academy marathon <laughs> that's right um Picard tells him listen buddy i know what you're up to this is a just vengeance mm-hmm. uh but uh, oh, and also, uh, you're coming with me to Starbase 2, 211, but because I am invested in all of the wrong things, I'm going to permit you the dignity of re- remaining in command of your ship. Uh-huh. By the way. So he fucking sends Maxwell back, and there's a, definitely a scene where Masset, who has not been in this conversation, is standing on the bridge, and he watches Maxwell walk out a free man. Yeah. And here's Picard say, our guest is returning to his ship. Yeah, this guy. And he still keeps his fucking cool. Masset, and again, there are specific motivations that may or may not be at play, but he is like, he plays this as cool as a person can play it. Yeah. They for sure sent the right gull to take care of this. Yes. Anyway, of course, the Phoenix does not go to Starbase 211. No. They go after a nearby supply vessel, which is like a tenth of a light year away. So they should have left. They should not have been hanging out near this meeting of two huge Federation starships. I can only assume that, like Enterprise, they were not informed of the events in this area. <laughs> it must be the case. Yeah, this one's on Masset, actually. <laughs> yeah, you should have told everyone um, in the whole fucking sector. They get there. 
the Phoenix is just sort of watching this ship, uh, which is sending out a jamming field and can't be scanned. Maxwell calls up and tells Picard, board that ship. You'll find all the evidence you need. Uh, and Picard says, nah, this is over. This is dumb. And he won't let Maxwell shoot these guys. And O'Brien shows up at this point and says, listen, maybe we don't have to blow up the Phoenix, which I think is the next step in Picard's plan. Yeah. Uh, because luckily, I know about this ship in particular, and it's weird shields quirk, and I can just beam over. Yeah, well, yeah, I got stuff to say about that, too. So Picard sends him to go talk to the guy. And uh, Maxwell asks him, what the hell has happened to this war? And O'Brien says, there's no fucking war. <laughs> And he breaks down about his family immediately, so definitely Picard was dead on there. Mm-hmm. They talk about their dead friend Stompy, and they sing the Minstrel Boy again. And then Maxwell says, I'm not going to win this one, am I, Chief? And uh, then we're back on the ship where Picard congratulates O'Brien on a job well done. And then Picard turns to Gulmaset and he tells him, I fucking know Maxwell was right, and we're going to be watching you. <laughs> yes. It's pretty wild. It's very audacious. So, what was this one about? Picard says he thinks some people need war. And I appreciate that he said that, because then I could use it as my take. People like Ben Maxwell <laughs> need war. Um, and I suppose that it doesn't take many of people like that to fuck it up for everybody else if you put them in charge of anything. So, I get what we're going for. You get points for making it an obvious take, but I don't know how crucial this realization is since what seems to be the real problem isn't that people need war, it's that they're totally willing to wage it for preposterously selfish reasons. And also that apparently, after the war is over, they don't get any support, they cannot transition. Basically, the Federation is as bad as uh, Rogue Danar's old boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, pretty much. They haven't, They have, except they don't know they have a problem, so they didn't put Ben Maxwell on a highly secured moon. But boy, they should have. Turns out they should have. Uh, it was a six for me for giving me the obvious thing to bite into. Uh, uh, ben is an eight. He's even higher. Uh, he says war wounds the participants in so many ways, especially psychologically. Do they still hate their opponents? How do people heal, etc. Uh Maybe the bigger point is that there may be bad apples, but the majority of people are just people and do not want to blow each other up. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's what's happening in this episode. Like, definitely Picard has been ordered not to start a war. Yeah, he's on and we, a diplomatic mission. And one assumes that uh, Gal Masset also has similar orders based on How the shit acts. that he eats perpetually in this episode. Uh-huh. And also the fact that Cardassian warships seem like real trash compared to the at least Nebula and Galaxy class starships. This is, I don't know. Maybe they're okay against Excelsiors. Yeah, this is a real. Uh, this has to be an eye opener for Bissett. But to be like, oh no, we don't got sh- we don't got a shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like these guys are fucking us up without even trying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's an eight, and he and I, I guess, are are in the same territory. I have, if you learn to hate the enemy, the hate will persist beyond the war. Mm-hmm. It's a, maybe a little narrow in application, and this is one that absolutely doesn't need to be a sci-fi story. Yeah, This is like, I'm sure one of the Rambos is about this, or something. Yeah. Uh, especially since they don't make it seem like this is unusual in Picard's time, or that people have outgrown this kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Well, especially because... Like, uh, O'Brien just goes and has that whole conversation with Keiko about it. Yeah. 
uh, it's not inherently bad, but I don't think this is actually doing any like doing doing a lot of work. I only gave it a four. Oh, okay. Uh, what about execution? <sighs> not everything is effective here. We never see anything that happens on the Phoenix, so we don't know what his crew is thinking. Yeah. Uh, the Rutledge sounds like a real bunch of dipshits giving each other nicknames and singing 18th century folk songs together. Uh-huh. O'Brien is a weird asshole to his brand new wife. Well, hey, it's almost like maybe they shouldn't have got married. Yeah. Um, obviously, Maxwell has to be pretty unintrospective to not see what he's doing. Yes. So, like I said, not everything works, but there are some interesting decisions. Uh, space combat in the next generation particularly is really static and boring. So the decision to just do it in diagram form that works just was fine. pretty effective. Yeah. It also allows everybody to be sort of horrified by distant events. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they, the, the helplessness of just having to watch the display update when that ship is blown up. It saves them a lot of money from having to show a fight between two brand new models. Yeah. Uh, but, but also, you know, it, it works uh, on its own. The two main Cardassians are good and the third one is fine. And I think everyone likes the O'Brien Maxwell scene near the end. So... Uh, it does some stuff good too. I gave it a five. Okay. Uh, Ben agreed, gave it a five. Um, weaving in O'Brien's history and his new home life. Uh, he says Keiko is of course awful right off the bat. (laughs) Well, boy, he and I have absolutely different takes on that. (laughs) Yeah, I thought last week she was awful right off the bat during, in Data's day when Data walked in and she said, I don't want to get married anymore. Go tell my husband, my fiance, go tell him about it. That was not so great. Um, Irish folk songs win the day against despair. Uh, no traveling at warp four during the intercept. Yeah, Picard apparently not in a hurry. <laughs> <clears throat> um, okay, so I'm at a six. Okay. I think they handled the O'Brien stuff reasonably well. I think they handled the scenes, like you said, where they remotely watched the Phoenix blowing up Cardis reasonably well. Both of these captains, Picard and Massette, walking this line of trying to preserve peace, even if it means some pretty bad immediate incidents going down. Um, it's a good tone in this episode. Both of these dudes are are doing a diplomatic thing. Yeah. Another good thing I thought, Maxwell comes off very red state, if you know what I mean. Like a <laughs> turd who can't let the Civil War go hundreds of years later or something. A little bit, yeah. Um, so that seems especially... Well, it does not help. It does not help that he does an Irish accent in O'Brien's face. Yep. Yeah, but the Blarney Stone or whatever. It's like, all right, all right, buddy. <laughs> O'Brien just has to eat it. Um, unfortunately, the ending with Picard definitely suspecting that the Cardis are up to no good is kind of like letting everyone off the hook. Yeah. Like, not totally, they still shouldn't have gone rogue and killed all those people, but it makes you resent the Cardis for, like, causing this incident. Because if Picard right. thinks they're up to no good, we're probably right. supposed to think they're up to no good. Oh, yeah, why couldn't you scan that cargo ship? Ooh. Mm-hmm. How much more powerful is this episode if Maxwell's just wrong? Yeah. Just a guy who can't see straight, especially after they show that he has no evidence... Of any yes. Cardassian plot, Picard says, "Where's the evidence?" And he goes, "Eat shit." I well, he says he he hears things. Yeah. <laughs> things get to him. Things reach what? my desk. What are you talking about? 
You have your own private spy network in Cardassian space? Yeah. You might be unhinged. So when Picard is suspicious at the end... I mean, look, it's possible for both sides to be wrong, but that's not how you sell a morality tale. What good is this story if in the end the Cardassians are actually rearming? Uh, Picard even says Maxwell should not be dismissed. Just pitied. Yeah. And that it's really all of our fault that he couldn't find a way to get by after the war. He sure did kill like a thousand people, though, huh? Yeah, I didn't kill those people. (laughs) Yeah. Don't blame that on me, fucking Picard. Also, Maxwell, the guy who plays him, is a ham, and I don't know how I feel about it. In some ways, when he hams it up, I was like, oh, that's kind of effective. And then sometimes I was like, a little bit much when he's like, kids who never had the chance to grow up or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, okay, hey, a little bit much. Uh, still, I thought it was a solid episode overall with a lot of stuff that was handled pretty well. So I gave it as much as a six. Um, world building. Uh, I would like you to please uh, tell me what Ben thought about world building. <laughs> He gave it a seven. Yes, he did. Let's see what he said. What's that crazy headgear Golmaset is wearing? Hard to remember this is the first appearance of actual Cardassians, and Alemo still does a good job. Uh, they've not perfected the Cardi makeup uh, and look yet. The armor still sucks. No, the armor's worse than ever. They've not perfected <laughs> the Cardi makeup and look yet. The armor still sucks again. Uh, further proof that even the Phoenix can blow holy hell out of Cardassian warship. So I guess he, when he gave it the 7-4, is just the introduction of all the Cardi stuff, probably. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, the, a lot of the tone does get set for the Cardassians here. Yeah. Uh, I gave it as much as a 5 for those reasons that we discussed during the uh, intro here. Uh, a mapping survey near the Cardassia sector one year since that treaty ended that damned war. Picard even fought the Cardis. Uh, O'Brien's mom still cooked. She thought the food was more nutritious if you cooked it. <laughs> so the internet sucks, I guess. Even in the future. Yes, even in the future, the internet's bad. Um, Even in this first episode where the Cardassians are introduced, this war makes no sense. Yeah, that's the big problem for me. I know the Enterprise is the flagship, and I know that the Phoenix is based on all the same technology as the Enterprise. Yeah, and the fact that it's a Nebula-class starship really positions it one level below the galaxy, so, like, obviously, this is a pretty good ship, yeah. but, uh... But, like, they take... But it's rough what happens here. Enterprise takes some hits, and then they knock this ship, this Maset ship, out of the fight in about ten seconds when they decide to start shooting. Um, and then, obviously, what the Phoenix does all throughout Cardi space. Sector 21505 in Cardassian space. Uh, Picard's marching orders are to preserve the peace no matter the cost. Possibly because of Borg-related concerns? Oh, yeah. You do wonder if it's, like, not a good time for a war. The guy says we're not ready to get into a shooting war or something like that. Yeah. Um... Ben Maxwell commands the Phoenix. He used to command the Rutledge. That, like you said, was a wild place where everybody just sang old fucking Celtic songs, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Some people aren't allowed to sing at all in the 24th century without risking a full mutiny. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess not on that show. Well, you you can't sing English songs. You can only sing Irish ones. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Gulls and glins and all of that. These wild uniforms that are so, so loud. Um, 
O'Brien calls Setlick. Okay. okay. They first describe Setlick 3 as a raid. And O'Brien yes. says, sabotage is more like it. Then he describes a raid. <laughs> then it's a... Then it's... Yes, exactly. He does not describe sabotage in any way. So, I'm not sure why he didn't like Picard calling it one. Because <laughs> he talks about how they invaded them in the night or whatever. Yeah. They came after a him. bunch of A bunch of... A group of Cardassian commandos... Yeah. ...attacked in the night. In what way is that sabotage? I was like, that sounds like a raid. <laughs> um... Active feed pattern buffers on Cardi ships. Uh, Glenn Tall Guy is even cool about that, too. He's like, it was a terrible mistake. Yeah. We had bad intel. We were told it was a wet. We- what does he say? Weapons? I forget. I don't already say. Well. Um, prefix code continuity. So I guess, like you said, Star Trek 2. Fun with uh, these ships' weapon ranges. Um,. The Quayar system is a strategically sound position for an invasion of the Federation. Maxwell. But you can't do any science there. Makes no (laughs) sense to do any science. (laughs) I don't need evidence. Um, Maxwell contends that the Admiral's back at Starfleet Commander out of touch with what's really going on out in space. But he's an insano. The Cardi vessel is running with a high energy subspace field, which shields the nature of its defenses. That big sensor pod on the Phoenix causes shield disruptions. I assume Starfleet knows that, and now so do the Cardis. Yeah, well, they definitely do now. If Starfleet doesn't know it... This is why we'll never see that pod again, by the way. If Starfleet doesn't know that fact, then how does O'Brien know it? Is he just coming up with battle plans by himself in the transporter room? Well, you know, the first time we ever see him, he is on the battle bridge. Yeah. And he was... Maxwell's tactical officer, and it probably is pretty boring. In the That's what I'm saying. So I think he's time. literally just sitting there at the transporter pad, fucking doing his own little thing, just trying to come oh, up. With- like a lot of the time, Enterprise is not in transporter range of anything. Yep. And what's he doing all day in there? Beaming test cylinders back and forth. I mean, occasionally beaming Keiko's underwear off for fun. He even knows by now that if Crusher walks in, he doesn't even have to stop doing what he's doing because she's just gonna look at him. <laughs> And then she's going to say, thanks, Chief, and she's going to walk out. And then maybe later he has to have a brain scan, but, like, you know, like he doesn't even have to turn off his display or whatever. This O'Brien doesn't know that, no. but yes. Uh, hey, what charges will the Phoenix's XO and other senior officers face? I, it's, I mean, it definitely seems like they followed an illegal order of some kind. Yeah, they didn't do anything. Eventually, Picard hands the ship over to him. I don't know that I would trust them enough for that. I'd put Worf on that ship. Yeah. So Worf, take the uh, ship home. You have to imagine that the XO of the Phoenix, even if he or she doesn't end up drummed out of the service or doing time, never gets a ship at their own, yeah, right? I think they've proven they cannot handle that. They get a land side duty maybe not even on earth yeah he probably ruined a lot of people's careers they gotta go work with uh hutch or whatever (laughs) oh god yeah oh god i don't i'm not looking forward to starship mine not looking forward to starship mine um you gotta figure anybody who was any seniority on the phoenix that gets brought up Whenever they have a review or if they're up for a new assignment or whatever, somebody must be like, hey, tell me about the Phoenix. <laughs> what happened there? Uh, even if the Cardis are a one-off alien of the week, there's still so much immediate Starfleet history in here 
and other tech stuff that I th- I gave it the five. Like, there's no reason necessarily to know that the Cardis are ever going to be back. But yeah. there is kind of a lot going on in here. Uh, I'm putting... We're in the same area. I, I gave it a four. I, the thing that hurts it for me, well, there's two things. So there's the uh, tactical absurdity of the Cardassian War. Yes. Uh, and then it definitely seems like a ship can be acting rogue in enemy territory for a couple of days without Starfleet knowing anything about it. Yep. That's not great. Yeah. Uh, we got transponder codes used both to identify a ship and to lower its shields like the command prefixes did in Star Trek II, Nebula-class starship, Cardassian War, the recent peace treaty, the threat of rearming. Uh, I think that's covered it. Yeah, it's a four for me. Um, I only gave it a three for characterization. This may be where we're actually apart. Yes, I think it is. I think that's probably where the difference is here. Uh, Picard really shows his old boys club roots here by being so worried about the indignity of sticking Maxwell in the brig Yeah. after he's already destroyed two Cardassian ships in an outpost. He can also barely conceal his disgust at the Cardassians in the beginning and defends Maxwell to Gulmaset at the end. Yep. O'Brien might just be a racist. He doesn't want to eat Keiko's weird breakfast. He's super chauvinistic about his potato casserole. I don't think there's any might. Stop I think he's a definite racist. He's just a racist. Like, this is maybe not even about the war. He can't stop defending Maxwell, even when no one asked, and, uh, like, when there are Cardassians present. (laughs) Riker hasn't been getting much to do lately. He and Data and Troy are all exposition in this one. I didn't see Geordi or Beverly at all. Um... Even though Picard gives some okay speeches and holds the moral high ground as best he can, n- neither of the guys we can actually grade for this show came off amazing to me, so I gave it a three. Okay. Uh, I'll read Ben's after mine. Um, I gave it a seven, and I gave it a seven not because I liked what everyone was doing, but because of the depressing realism of the way everybody acts. <laughs> It is true. I recognize this is the least 24th century of <laughs> DNG episodes for sure. I recognized everybody in this episode <laughs> from real life. And I went, oh, all right, let's just, we'll get into it. Uh, Picard thinks that that time he lowered his shields and put his whole crew at risk and the enemy fired at them relentlessly was pretty funny. <laughs> and that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> Because that's his favorite move, is just getting shot to hell and then going, wait a minute, Mr. Worf. Uh, He does come back to it over and over again. It's like Janeway in the self-destruct. Picard is a good soldier and makes Worf transmit the Phoenix's prefix prefix codes to the Cardis, even though nobody likes the idea. Picard does not debate with O'Brien his own status as one of the two best captains in the fleet. He just (laughs) takes takes the kiss-ass compliment for what it is. Is that because he's afraid to hear that he's number two? (laughs) Maybe he doesn't want to get into it. Yeah, Yeah. he's just going to assume he's number one and not ruin it. Uh, Picard gives no ground with Ben Maxwell, at least when they're having that conversation. And that's the only good thing he does in the episode. Um, He he susses him out real quick and then straight turns his back on him. Literally. Like literally turns his chair around so he doesn't have to look oh, at yeah. him anymore. And then later he does it to the Cardi after defending Ben Maxwell. So I guess that's just his new move. <laughs> I'm going to turn my chair around <laughs> to show my disdain for you. I'm done looking and talking, looking at and talking to you. Yeah. Uh, War hates the Cardassians. Big shock. 
uh, and he really hates the idea of giving up those prefix codes. O'Brien hates Keiko's food. I wonder if they should be married. Uh, O'Brien definitely could tell that Troy sensed his racism, and he still couldn't stop it. No. That must be a shitty feeling. Just being like, oh, she totally knows what I was thinking, and it's bad. Oh, man, she had a horrified look on her face. <laughs> uh, he's very shitty with this nice guy, Glenn Tall guy. All right, so I really appreciated the writing with O'Brien. After that conversation with Glenn Tall guy, he baits <laughs> Keiko into having <laughs> this conversation about how some people still hate the Cardis. A, so he can get permission to hate them. Get out of my fucking notes. Right? He's hoping that she's going to go, well, it makes sense to hate them. They're, they're monsters. So he can go, yeah, they are monsters, aren't they? Or B, point out how cool he is for not holding grudges against them. It's actually such a realistic kind of manipulation. But who's he manipulating? Himself, bro. Himself. Yeah. <laughs> and he still says things like, well, he must have his reasons as the body count just keeps rising. Uh-huh. Then he goes to talk to Glenn Tall Guy, but it sounds like he really is just there to justify his bitterness. Uh -huh. Not to let go of it or bury the hatchet or anything, which I also found very realistic. <laughs> O'Brien says he was a sensitive child, like, afraid to swap mosquitoes and stuff. I mean, Glenn Tall Guy orders an ale for O'Brien, not knowing how much he's going to be charged. <laughs> it's true. He doesn't know how the economy of Starfleet works. He's going to have to eat rats for a week, maybe. <laughs> you think so? He's like, I don't know what the exchange rates are or anything. This could be pretty I honestly bad. don't know how I'm going to have to pay for this. And if Gomaset's going to be mad. No, no. He said to be nice to everyone. He said it was very important that we don't start a war early. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, not yet. Uh, still, O'Brien was crucial to stopping Maxwell at the end without more violence. Um, Keiko wants O'Brien to eat her food, but is not interested in eating his Yep. Uh, yeah, that conversation with O'Brien blew my mind, where he walks in and goes, you know, I was at that briefing earlier, and you're not going to believe it. Seemed like some people still hate the Kardashians. I got the feeling, just from feeling the room, just from looking around at people, that there are people out there who just, like, haven't let the war go and, like, hate Cardassians. Can you believe that? And I so went, we fuck this guy, he's just like a real person and I hate it. What's happening here, Matthew, is that we had the exact same notes yes. on the characterization of this episode, and you gave it seven points, yes. and I gave it three points. I couldn't, I couldn't help but give them credit. When have they ever written a realistic character? It's so rare. Uh, but I just I thought that's, that's exactly what somebody would do. Just some real fucking uh, out-of-touch asshole who's just going to walk in there and be like, I don't, know, I don't even know what I saw earlier. I was really disappointed in everybody, the way they hate Cardassians. <laughs> anyway <clears throat> oh boy <clears throat> uh ben gave it a five um kelp buds and plankton loaf where did keiko grow up he wonders if she was really poor no we know she was eating at a replicator she's surprised that o'brien's mom wasn't um yeah yeah they chose that it's got to cost the same amount of energy as anything else that same weight right like <laughs> yeah right exactly uh, he's weirded out, um, or, you know, he says that, uh, O'Brien was relatively professional. Oh, I don't know. Uh-oh. I think he could have been more professional. Yeah, that was not my read. Yeah. 
Uh, Vicard chooses to honor the peace treaty instead of supporting his fellow captain. Yeah, it's hard to support him. <laughs> he doesn't make a lot of good points. And Picard asks him for evidence, and the guy goes, "Evidence? That sounds like that's the guys of the Admiralty. That's what they'd ask for. You're not one of them." Evidence of you kissing men. That's <laughs> right. What's that smell? <laughs> smells like someone looking for evidence. <laughs> uh, it's very bad. Yeah. So, yeah, just a five from uh, from Ben. Oh, boy. I bet you got some quick hitters, though, huh? Yep. I am not interested in hearing O'Brien and Keiko's sex words. They shouldn't. Oh, yeah. Maybe she'll have something special waiting for him later. And then he's got, like, a mouth half full of food, and he starts to, like, <laughs> laugh like a monster. Oh, I hated it so much. Uh-huh. Glenn Tall Guy gives Glenn uh-huh. Stocky a look like, I think we're going to get stabbed if we go out tonight. Like, this place isn't cool. This neighborhood that we're in isn't cool. Let's just stay in and order a pizza. But I can tell Glenn Stocky likes to party, so it could be a bad night at 10 forward. Yeah, he wants to go out and uh, find someone who has cocaine. And <laughs> That's it's right. like, man, this is maybe not the time. <laughs> uh, the makeup people even gave Masset some wild purple veins up and down the side of his head, which I had never noticed until this viewing. Is Glenn Stocky the guy who played Rice, Riker's buddy, whose ship can reach speeds oh, of he's warp got, three? I hadn't looked it up, but he got Paul Rice's face for sure. I think it was Paul Rice, um, who again? Hold on, let's. Uh, whose ship? Glenn. Whose ship can go to warp three? What about yours? This is a good question. Uh, hold on, he was played by Marco Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, you, you nailed it. Paul Rice, this is weird Freedom, and all, all good things. Apparently, there's archive footage of him in All Good Things. Oh, God, there might be. Uh, there was uh, his weird voice. You, yeah, you, uh, so it wasn't his acne scarring, which is actually, now that I look at it, still visible under the Cardassian makeup. Oh, God, it is. I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. No, it was the way he said everything in that episode sounded like, Mine's Warp 3. What's yours? <laughs> warp 3? <laughs> That will blow my mind till the end of time. Okay. It's not the same Warp 3 as an Enterprise, but yeah, that ain't fast. Hold on, let me... Boy. That really did come through his makeup. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. That's a good call, though. I had not... Like, yeah, I think this guy just has one of those faces where I looked at him and I thought, yeah, that's somebody, but I... uh, Yeah. Well spotted. Uh, That's it for me. What about you? Uh, the war was long enough for Picard to have come in the Stargazer with a peace overture. Yeah. Uh, during that breakfast scene, whose plastic forks are those? Was that what O'Brien was eating with before they were married? Or is that what Data gave them as a wedding present? He didn't give them that. They got these like thick plastic forks that look awful. He didn't give them that crystal swan or whatever it was. Uh, Worf gave them the crystal swan and you know it. Uh, all of the early talk about Cardassians is probably supposed to make these guys menacing, and the ship design is pretty cool, but Gulmaset's orthodontic helmet really undercuts it. <laughs> it's not amazing. Obviously, they'll lose it by the next time they show up, but, like, I don't even know if that's supposed to be doing anything at all. If it's ornamental, it's just badly placed. 
Yeah, I'm mean, I kind of feel like Ernie Reyes Jr. should have showed up and like it turns out it's a uh, foam padded nunchucks and you could have done some non-violent action fun with them. Yeah. Now that O'Brien is a regular character, they've decided to flesh him out by making him a close-minded jerk. Uh-huh. At what point did Picard slow down from warp 6 to warp 4? Like when did it seem like less of an emergency? That is when I when I heard him say warp 4, from I warp went warp 4 to warp 9. Wait a minute. And you were like, "Well, first of all, that's an unnecessary detail." <laughs> why would you why would you say that? Does the helmsman need to know what speed you're currently going at to go to warp 9? Uh sir, I can go to warp 9 if you tell me what speed we're at now. That's uh that's how the dial works. I, you know uh, the rules. It's, it's confusing. You know that I have to Whatever speed you say, I have to input plus five. I have to say to computer plus five warps. <laughs> and then this is where I wrote: Did O'Brien expect Keiko to say "I hate Cardassians" so he could really <laughs> launch into it? I, I, that's, for me, that was one of two options. I, I mean, that's such a baffling thing to do. Yeah. Uh, remicking a dude at point blank range would definitely be traumatic. That's part of O'Brien's story. Yeah. The man just disintegrated in front of him. Yeah, that lady threw him a phaser on set to fucking super vaporize or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> Worf is worried about giving the Cardassians transponder codes, but when Phoenix and Enterprise are hanging nose to nose, neither one tries to lower the other one's shields. O'Brien has to know about a sensor window from that big AWACS dish. Oh, so yeah. It does seem like that vulnerability no longer exists. Oh, yeah, you're right. They fucking mention, Worf says, they would be able to dismantle their shields. Maybe it's like a long involved process. Maybe it's not I guess. I guess, well, we know that there's definitely a display on <laughs> the <laughs> ship <laughs> with the lights going out one, one, one by one so that Joaquin can look confused. We'll raise them again. I can't. <laughs> Uh, and I guess the rest of Maxwell's crew must have been pretty sick of this shit too because O'Brien beamed over apparently unarmed and just walked over to his observation line. Like he didn't beam into the room. No. He beamed outside of that room somewhere and walked over. It's, probably from a transporter room. It's like he thought beaming in directly into the room would be even more scary for him. He yeah. really wanted and to make it a, an easy time for the guy. Yeah, everyone was just like, smiley! Yeah. You know, like, what? <laughs> Where you been? Uh, uh, and then, you know, my final notice, after this one, Olemo as Ducat was a fucking no-brainer, because he nails it as Masset. He's really good. I did 100% my best actor this week, Gol Masset. Worst actor, Deanna. They're our allies now. We have to trust them, Troy. Boy, it's like, it's like the person who wrote the line didn't think about it at all. No. Not even just the character. Like, the person who I assume it, that is what happened, like, yeah. Like, a line for Troy, also. Uh, we should. Someone should say that they're allies. Uh, who's in this scene? That's right. Is Crusher in this? That sounds like the kind of thing is Riker say. there because he could do absurd walk and talks pretty good. <laughs> That's right. <sighs> <clears throat> that was a good one. Winner last week was Deep Space Nine. Yeah. This week we watched Sons of Moog. <laughs> still <clears throat> love that intro um wharf <laughs> is back in some caves i hope it's a holographic recreation of that time the cardies wiped out his whole team you know an old man <laughs> an old man an old lady and himself uh, it's probably just a holographic re that he normally uses to uh 
to go get the sword of uh, Kalos again, <laughs> yeah. but this time he just fucking puts it in core <laughs> every time he plays the simulation. Core Kang, which it one was is core? Um, okay. Now nah, though, he and Dax are doing some calisthenics. That's what he calls it when they hit each other with swords, right? Yep. Uh, Worf accuses Dax of trying to distract him with her boobies or something. Um, they do some nasty flirting. Worf gets called to the docking ring where a drunk and belligerent Kern, his brother, has arrived and says he wants Worf to help him commit ritual suicide. Kern uh, wakes up in Worf's quarters and is very sarcastic with Worf. <laughs> I guess that's the most you can do to your older brother in Klingon culture. Well, it's for sure Kern's big move. <laughs> He's extremely sarcastic and I enjoy it. Uh, the House of Moog has been totally stripped of all property, land, and influence and everything. Um, they didn't even do this after the first discommendation. That's right. This so one's Gowron must have been pissed. Yeah, yeah. But this is all based on when um, Worf refused to You're join him. You're double secret discommendated. <laughs> uh, Kern is understandably upset because, <clears throat> seriously, we've never seen Worf call home once. Since he joined DS9 and pissed off Gowron. <laughs> I'm not sure he ever even bothered to tell Kern what was coming. Anyway, uh, he's here to die, and this will be his last shred of honor or something. That he's going to do this this ritual death that Worf's going to stab him or whatever. Later, Dax complains to Quark that Worf is late for more flirting on the holodeck. And Quark says, uh, no, he, Worf came by earlier and he asked for some crazy incense. And then he left. Dax is weirded out, and she learns from Odo about Kern's presence, and it dawns on her what's happening. Just then, we see Worf thrust a dagger into Kern's chest area. He's got a weird chest, so I don't really know what's going on. Yeah, he's he's got a weird zone, for sure. Yeah. Like, apparently, he's got ridges on either side of his sternum. Yeah, it's, it's his double secret zone. It actually kind of makes the area in between look soft and stabbable, frankly. <laughs> That's right. I'd aim for that part for sure. Oh, yeah. Aim right between them. Uh, just then, Odo and Dax show up, and they beam Kern to the infirmary. Dax sticks up for Worf in front of Cisco, but Benjamin is not happy. He gets real shouty. Kern is more disappointed when he wakes up. Like, less angry. Just kind of like he's over it. Um... Dax and Worf decide to keep Kern around as a security officer for Odo. Like, that'll distract him from the terrible dishonor. Go from a seat on the High Council to one of Odo's fucking peons or whatever. Um, Kern kind of crushes it at his new job, except he keeps trying to get himself killed in the line of duty. Uh, Odo calls Worf after Kern is shot by some slimy freighter guy. Uh, Odo has to fire Kern for not being safe or cool. <laughs> Kern once again tells Worf that his life is in his brother's hands. Uh, here I'm going to catch up with the B-plot, because uh, this is where it intersects. Uh, O'Brien and Kira are on their way back from fucking somewhere, I didn't write it down, on a runabout. They detect a big ol' energy reading, something ex explodey, it sounds like. And they investigate, and a Klingon bird of prey decloaks and tells them to fuck off. Uh, they're doing military exercises. It's just that they're close to Bajor. Yep. So they do indeed fuck off back to DS9, and they make their report to Cisco, who says, uh, no, take the Defiant and go back out there. 
So uh, Kira and O'Brien again weirded out by the Klingons' behavior near Bajoran space, and another explosion occurs, and this time a cloaked Vorcha-class cruiser uh, decloaks and is badly damaged, and that vessel asks for use of Defiance medical facilities. Uh, they actually tow it back to DS9, and uh, back on the station, they talk it out. They think something exploded near the Klingon ship, and since it couldn't be a torpedo, it must be a, a cloaked mine. So they're mining the uh, areas around the Bajoran system, I guess, to, uh, in case they need to isolate the system and get war with the Federation or whatever. Since they need info on the mines in order to disarm them, they enlist Worf and Kern to do a, a crazy commando mission onto this Klingon cruiser they've towed back. Um, Kern hates this idea because it means betraying the Klingons some more. Yeah, his dishonor is now complete. <laughs> Worf says, too bad. And uh, you got to go along with it to save the Empire, he says. Uh, then Worf says the name of the episode. Bashir does a cool makeup job on them. And then they uh, get back into their cool Klingon uniforms. Uh, they go to the appropriate place on the Klingon ship. But then a Klingon guy walks in and Kern has to blast him when he pulls a knife on Worf. They get the info, they get out of there, and they get an attaboy from Cisco. but Worf is bummed out about how little he understands Klingons. And now he realizes he'll never be able to go back to the Empire. And, by the way, he's still worried about Kern. So Dax comes up with the monstrous idea... <laughs> wild. ...to pull a McCoy and erase <laughs> Kern's ideas about his dad. Worf interrupts Kern, pointing a disruptor at his own head, and, uh... And tells him what's up. Wait, we don't see him tell Kern anything. No, he doesn't. Kern passes out from drunkenness. Kern passes out, and then he's in the medical bay. Did he not get a chance to think this over? This is what I've written down. Did Worf just do this thing? Anyway, it's fucking done now. Kern has no idea about his family. He thinks he's the son of some other old Klingon, one of Worf's 5,000 retainer lords. It's a sad moment for Worf, who now truly has no ties to the house of Moog. Um, and the B-plot finishes off with the Defiant setting off all the mines and the Klingons bailing back to the Empire. That ending was so wild. Uh, what, um, what was this episode about? Well, Ben says, uh, Sting said it, if you love somebody, set them free. Hmm. But I suppose the idea of this one is that you can't, ultimately belong to two cultures with competing values that one side must ultimately win out like if it's a fundamental difference of values or belief systems or something Mm -hmm. i don't have any real personal experience on this take and i guess most people probably don't really feel radically pulled between two very different value systems like this but it is a very sci-fi kind of premise even if the handling particularly at the end doesn't feel particularly star trek like no or does um, it? Or does it? Because as we've done this project, we found out, oh, they're all monsters. Yeah, it's just a four for me because I I don't think this one is very widely applicable. Yeah. Because really, there has to be... The thing with Worf isn't just that his instincts have gotten dull. It's that he realizes he can't kill his brother. Yeah. anymore like he no longer can subscribe to that Klingon despite the fact that he prefers Klingon beliefs he can't <laughs> he, he can no longer really feel it he's lived too long away okay yeah he's bought into the Federation and so on and that's 
that has to be some pretty strong stuff that I think most people aren't going to encounter. So it's just a four. Yeah. Despite the fact that half an hour earlier, he did plunge the knife into his brother. So that is correct. Maybe he just needs enough incense to get going. Um, I also gave it a four with a totally different take. I had. Oh, let's have it. Is it enough to simply go on? Hmm. Uh, I thought at first this was going to be another one about assisted suicide, like the TNG one with Worf. But they stopped talking about that pretty early on. Um, Worf talks about how all he has left is the Federation. And when Dax asks him if that's enough, he says it'll have to be. But Kern doesn't even have that. Like, it would have been interesting to see if he could go on with just Worf to lean on. And by the way, how great would it have been? That's the only good scene in this uh, show, right? That's why we're both talking about it. Yes. Exactly right. How great would it have been to have T. Todd join the cast? Uh, it would have been great. Uh, it would have been real bad for Michael Dorn, though. It would have been bad for Dorn, who would have been outplayed in every scene by Kern. That's right. And you can't go up against Tony Todd day to day. It's real bad. How bad would it have been for Kira, who is basically not on the show? Yeah, would have been tough. Tough for sure. She, there are not enough lines to go around. But man, to have T. Todd on week I mean, in and week they out. They gave her the B plot this week, but like. But it could have been anybody. On. Um, but ultimately the answer for Kern is no, uh, they give him a nasty mind wipe. That's why I think I had to phrase it as a question. They change his whole DNA. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, did you, I don't know if you they catch do. that part. So that no one they can give track him. him or they whatever. give him plastic surgery and they change his fucking DNA. Mm-hmm. I don't think they asked him. Like, no, it seems like they just beamed an unconscious man over there and <laughs> did the thing. Like if they asked him, they needed to shoot all of that different because it definitely seems like he never woke up. Um, yeah. Anyway, I had to phrase it as a question because the answer for Worf was sort of, yes, it is enough just to go on. Though, again, he does at least have Starfleet. And the answer for Kern was no. Um, so the writers didn't really pick a side. It was just a four for me. Um, and men's was a five, by the way. I know I listed his take, but uh, that's how many points he gave it. Yeah. Execution. Then I have here again. Wait, did Kern not get to sign off on this plan? <laughs> it's the big sticking point. We never see... Well, there's a couple, but yeah. <laughs> we never see Worf talk to him about it. I'm being serious. Did I miss something? That'll definitely affect the score here because that's some Janeway shit. And how could a non-Flox doctor do that procedure otherwise? How is Bashir going to do that procedure without Kern telling him it's okay? Uh, well, good news. We don't see that either. No, it's just done. Uh, otherwise, it's a sad ending to a pretty blah episode. Like, I was really excited for, for T-Todd to be here, but like... I think the cloaked mine B-plot took precious time away from an interesting A-plot with a good actor. Oh, is it missing? Is it mismanaged minutes? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I know it gave him a cool commando mission to do later on, him, like Kern and Worf. But that's not as good as having them in a room talking about stuff. And the thought of Kern being gone from Star Trek is so sad to think about. Uh, I know he's. We still have him for TNG. But like, well, sure. And also, don't forget Rodek. <laughs> well. I was saying specifically Kern, but yes. I mean, yeah, we're never going to see Rodek again, are we? Well, if you play Star Trek Online, you will. Oh, Jesus, do you really? Voiced, voiced by Tony Todd, no less. Do you have to play one of the Klingon characters? Nah, he's a, he's in a later arc. All, all characters get to meet Rodek. That's almost enough to make me go back and play. Um, <laughs> overall, I was left affected, but also kind of bummed out and... Uh, 
if we are in agreement that there was not consent from Kern, I mean, I gotta. Does it seem like there was? I gotta drop the score. Uh, if there was consent, I gave it a five. If there was not consent, I gave it a two. Ooh, because it's ooh, that's rough. such a wild ending for them to decide for him and for a Starfleet doctor to go. Yeah, whatever. I don't know how to make this two slash five. You're gonna have to. Oh, pick. it's a two because I think we're in agreement. Okay. That like <laughs> yeah. they don't do any work of telling us that there was consent. It really they make it seem like there was not, which is insane. Like, how yeah. are we supposed to think Bashir is anything anymore? Now he's on Flox's level. Yeah. Well, they didn't immediately start using Kern for organs to keep someone else alive, so. <laughs> but they wouldn't ask him, though. If they needed those organs, he would have been done for. Yeah. Um, Ben was a four in execution. Watching Tony Todd wake up while puppeting his hand in front of his sleeping face is somehow the most acting he's seen anyone do on the show. <laughs> it's true. Having T Todd on the show is such a blessing. Uh, as usual, Worf doesn't face any consequences for stabbing his brother. He gets shouted well, he gets at. a talking to. That is the usual consequence <laughs> when Worf uh, goes off script and does a murder. Uh, Kern's now Rodak. Okay, yeah, it's a four for. Cisco's mad, but Picard was disappointed. Which do you think hurt Worf worse? Oh, he doesn't even give a shit about Cisco. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he did not care about that guy at all. Um, and then let's not forget the time that Worf was going to commit suicide, and Picard said to Riker, Yeah, go do it. <laughs> why, why not? He's your friend, right? You gotta be friends. You gotta, you gotta figure out what it means to be his friend. Yeah, I, I can't help are you with any of this. I'd say stab him. <laughs> uh, what about you? Uh, I mean, the B-plot feels like it's entirely built for Worf and Kern to board a Klingon ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, a job which ordinarily they would have just given to Odo. Yeah. Odo would have just gone in as a bag. They would have just, or part of the Klingon's uniform who was supposed to work that station. And then when he left, it would have turned out it was Odo. Something like that. Still, but that's fine. Still seems they, more effective to do it that way. I don't know why they didn't do it that way. Yeah, it seems like, well, because Worf had an idea. And Worf hasn't seen Odo turn into a bag 15 times yet. So he doesn't <laughs> remember that that's a thing. Okay. It's also weird how absolutely disinterested Cisco is in participating in either the A plot or the B plot. It's, he just keeps sending Cure out with the ship. It's season one Cisco all over again. Yeah. And it's super wild that they didn't show even one scene of Worf convincing Bashir to do a full life reset on an unconscious man. I don't even It's like they did not want us thinking about it at all. And it absolutely backfired because it was all I could think about. Well, when I'm watching it critically, I never noticed that before. I always just assumed he probably must have agreed to it. But then when they just cut straight from him falling unconscious to him waking up as a new person, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, But Worf is finally starting to get some good scenes on this show. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, when he can talk about his own background and not just, um, you know, be a vicious animal or just surly and out of place yeah there's some good scenes steven that the the good the best scene in this show even has dax in it yeah uh she's getting better too because i think she now feels like she has something to do yeah so i gave it as much as five for execution because i frankly i cannot even afford to think about The atrocities that were probably committed it's, that for all we know were definitely and certainly committed. Yep. Yes. Ugh. Uh, okay. What about world building? 
Uh, we've got the Moktovor ritual, the destruction of the House of Moog. Also, there's a, a little hint that maybe their prestige is in some way built on land. Like, it's it's kind of a Klingon feudalism. Mm-hmm. It really seems that way. Yeah, it's always seemed uh, that way the, just in the general structure of it. And then he specifically yeah. talks about how they took their lands away. But now it really is like there are some serfs or at best tenant farmers on this land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh when when Worf uh, calls his bannermen, probably some of those farmers have to fight. Like it doesn't. I think that's you know, how their society whatever. works. It, that's, that's why the feeling is that everyone's in the military. It's because they feel like anybody can't be called. Yeah, uh, cloaked minds, uh, memory procedures, altered genomes. Uh, Worf believes, and it seems like Kern believes too, that the Klingons cannot win a war against the Federation. Yeah, Worf and Kern talk. So about that's it. an. It's uh, it may it seems like it's not necessarily what Gowron thinks, but yeah, but that that's uh, sort of an interesting interesting take on the situation. For that and the Klingon feudalism, I'm giving it as much as a four in terms of world building. Okay, um, let's see what else. Although there definitely are some questions that you have to ask about who's been running the house of who's been administering the house of Moog all these years, and uh. Like, how it could still exist as an entity so powerful that there was talk that the next chancellor of the High would, Council could come from the House of Moog. And I love the way you put that. Could come from the House... Who's it going to be? There's Kern? Is it going to not be Worf? Is it going to be... Is it going to be you, Kern? Yeah. Were you hoping it was going to... Are you mad because it was going to be you, Kern? Uh, yeah. You're left to make a lot of assumptions. Like, yeah. they must have become that powerful again when Worf helped... Gowron in the Klingon Civil War that we haven't three seen years ago in this project yet. Yes, like that two and a half, three years ago because Kern like against recent was not even the House of Moog for his whole life. He was pretending to be someone else, right? So what was happening there? So yeah, so who was keeping the House of Moog going all that time? So I not that nanny. A lot of that power she was living in a the dark, dirty part of the city, right? A lot of that power must have come from being put on the High Council. Is my guess. Yeah. But yeah, you're left to assume a ton. Um, there were a lot of new Klingon words in this episode. I didn't record them. Um, sure. Kern drank some green stuff for his head. All the stuff. Yeah. All the stuff about House of... Well, a lot of the stuff we've already said. All the stuff about House of Moog. All the stuff about how they feel about fighting the Federation. Uh, the cloaked minefield strategy to cut off Bajor and DS9. Uh, God, more fun with memory erasing. This small retainer house that Worf enlists to adopt Kern. Uh, yeah, I agree. A four is a four is earned. Uh, what about? Uh, oh, uh, Ben says there's a Klingon ritual for killing your brother because, of course, there is. Hmm. But you can't do suicide. Uh, the Garon-led Klingons seem to have even less honor than before, and everyone agrees minds are evil. Yeah. Uh, what did you think characterization-wise? Uh, Worf thinks ladies are mostly fighting with their boobs and butts and stuff. Yeah. Based on what we learned in TNG, it makes sense that Worf would offer to help with this suicide. Um, he makes the death of that Klingon warrior, the one that Kern killed, the one that Kern was real worried about because it meant totally betraying the Empire. He makes mm-hmm. that all about himself. He really does make that one all about himself. And goes down a real fucking pity hole about how he should have known and how he's slipping and all this garbage about how he can never go back to the fucking Empire. Meanwhile, Kern is ruined. Yep. Um, 
Uh, Worf always hoped he'd return to Kronos in the end, but now he knows he has no place there. Dax is big into Worf. I guess that's her new character trait. Um, she even leaps to his defense in front of Cisco and is generally hanging around the whole episode. And he's sick of hearing about Klingon shit from the both of them, frankly. Yeah, it's, doesn't it seem in this episode like she's already picked Worf over her old friend Benjamin? You <laughs> mean sort of, yeah. She's like all in with Worf. She's well, like, she doesn't know about that good mirror universe sexing they did, so. <laughs> you think he's aware enough not to come back and just tell everyone about it? I, I fucked Dax. I, hope so. I fucked Kira. I've, I've seen all of you naked. <laughs> That's right. Um, For some reason, y'all look the same as you do here. Identical. You have the same hair and everything, so what? whatever. Like body, weight, just everything. Yeah. You guys have been living pretty much the same lives. Kern is less well-equipped to handle dishonor than Worf because of probably growing up in the Empire and everything. Um, he's also pretty resentful of Worf. But again, halfway through the episode, he stops being really mad and just becomes a real slouchy downer <laughs> after his failed suicide. <laughs> and that's sad. Um, yeah, it really took the life out of him. He, he takes to his new job okay, but he still hates his fucking life and tries to get killed. Um, in the end, this episode did get to me when Kern says his biggest regret was that he wasn't raised with his brother, either on Earth or on Kronos. It wouldn't have mattered. They could have been together and really, like, understood each other. Yeah. And been good brothers or whatever. So that, I, like, that to me was even more effective than the scene with Worf and Dax. Uh, you're right. That was a good scene. Um, Cisco doesn't... And I guess you could count Kern for characters. This is, this is already his... In our project, it's at least his... Third? Second? was Have we only seen Kern once in TNG? Probably only the once, right? Okay. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so it's a second appearance in, in our project. Um, Cisco doesn't like any of this uh, assisted suicide business or any of this Klingon nonsense. O'Brien tries to stick up for Worf 2. You know, like 1701 Brotherhood and all that. Yeah. Um, maybe he doesn't want Worf to... Well, as he thinks of him, grumpy. <laughs> They do a lot of does a lot of nicknames. Maybe Worf he he thinks Worf is going to show up in a couple of weeks on the Defiant, and he's going to tell him, "You know what you did," <laughs> and then he's going to have to leave. I think you know why. Um, Odo should know better than to mix business and personal entanglements. He gives Kern a job, even though he doesn't. It seems like he doesn't think it's a good idea. <laughs> and then he eventually has to fire him. Um. Because of the good stuff with Kern, I gave it as much as a six. Uh, ben is a three. Oof. Dax putting the moves on Worf, uh, at least acting like a bloodthirsty vamp is in her wheelhouse. Uh, Worf's not all of one world or the other, uh, especially since both the Klingons and the Federation have changed a lot in the last few years. Yeah. So, uh, Worf had uh, has had a really weird arc in TNG and DS9 mm -hmm. so far. When we meet him, he's almost fully Starfleet. Yeah. Right? Heart of Glory begins this thing where he's dragged further and further into Klingon society and religion. Like, that's his arc throughout TNG. Mm -hmm. And here he comes to the realization that he isn't fully Klingon and he can't keep playing in both worlds. And so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, 
I just wish I could trust him not to be Animal Wharf again next week. <laughs> yeah, good luck. And I don't. But that's, you know, I still think it's that his arc is interesting overall. Uh, Bashir comes off looking like he has no ethics. Uh, Cisco is like wildly hands off this week, like he's fucking making a new sailboat or whatever. Four o'clock, maybe. Who knows? Um, Dax has some okay scenes, but uh, let's be honest. In that opening scene, Worf is sexually harassing her. Yeah. And she just takes it. Or maybe it even turns her on a little bit, and I don't love that. Yeah. Uh, and then when you factor in the good Kern scenes and the fact that he qualifies, I'm going to raise it up to a six. Okay. Uh, what about quick hitters? <sighs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I've got some. S- again, Starfleet just doesn't have sexual har- harassment training, right? That's the lesson here. <laughs> I think so. Uh how could the House of Moog? Yeah, was Kern making money moves in the background while Worf was fucking around with parallel universes in Indiana <laughs> Troy? Uh, is it necessary that Klingons have weird chest bones? Yeah, I didn't like it. Like, it just it just seems like an unnecessary distraction. Um, since when Matthew has Odo been a man who collects on his debts? Yeah, I thought it was all about justice. Is that what he means? Yeah. What's this when Odo's like, uh, you know, I'd be indebted to you, and 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 Odo's like, yeah, you would, and I'm a man who collects on his debt. <laughs> That's right. Like, hold on, what? Yeah. <laughs> I think he got a little bit caught up in that Cardassian underworld he used to be in. There's some shit going on. Have you been reading Cardassian detective novels again <laughs> or whatever? Like, what is this? What are you saying? Yeah. Um... Why would Kern's uniform be uncomfortable? I don't. What? What's the replicator? Like, did he just... Did Odo just take him to the fucking storeroom? And he's like, all right, you look like a 45. <laughs> and... Maybe. Yeah, but like... like it's not like the Klingon uniforms look like they're super comfortable. Yeah. So I don't... Yeah, that's a weird one. And then... Like, I could not quite not think about the medical ethics involved, but mining space is such a wildly stupid idea that I have decided to not even think about it. That's right. Like, it just, it is so utterly senseless (laughs) and impossible an idea. Yeah, we we not only mine in this direction, but we also mine sort of infinite the other direction. (laughs) Yeah. Also, this is outside the Bajoran system, so we are mining... Uh, I don't know, 15 square light years? Yeah. Like, it's imp- it's just impossible. It's... How could they make... The entire uh, Klingon economy could not produce enough mines to mine a star system. It's just... It's utterly useless as an idea. Unless they literally have never thought about it, and they just put them all in a line, not realizing a starship will just fly over or under them. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. Ugh. Woof. Yep. Uh, do you have any... I give best actor to Kern, worst actor to Lieutenant Knife Gloves. Uh, Kern did a real good job here. I also, I was very charmed by Nagra. That guy seems like a good dad, yeah. and I'm into it. Yeah, well, at least he'll have a nice home. Yeah, seems like it. He's going to teach Kern everything he needs to know. At least this this 30-year-old dude will have a nice home. 
Um, Ben's quick hitter. I really think this is a messed up solution. Worf has taken away everything Kern is, which is sort of a fate worse than the death he longed for. Yeah, I mean, it, kinda. It is. It is a kind of execution, but I guess Cisco is is just gonna give it a pass. Um, I only had the one extra quick hitter. Does anybody play Klingon better than T Tob? Nah. The way he spits out all the lines is really good. Even the Klingon words sound really good. I will miss him. I'm glad we get to see him again in TNG. <laughs> yeah, that is true. He's not gone, but not forgotten. Yeah. Right. Also, I don't know. There's like there's like ten Enterprise episodes left. He might appear as a character named Kern. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> if they right. ever go back to Klingon His stuff. Great great grandpa Kern or whatever. Yeah. That's it, man. Oh. We did it. I got some scores. You want to know some scores? I'd like to hear them. Worst, uh, last place this week with 18 points, Voyager, Killing Game Part 1. Yo, Voyager. Get it together, man. It's like when a team has already been eliminated from the playoffs and the effort somehow goes down. They were already last place, but now they're just like, oh, gives a shit. Uh, we should we should do a prediction in what week you think Voyager will be mathematically eliminated. <laughs> Like right now, they're thirty-two wins behind, but there's ninety episodes to go, yes. so it's mathematically. You know, I guess Voyager in. has Voyager has a fewer. Voyager only has about seventy to go, but still, yeah. uh, eighty maybe. Yeah, so they're still mathematically in it, but um, it, yeah, it won't be long. Again, it's been a while since they won one. They've only won two out of eighty-five yeah. weeks. So third place with a basically average 29 points the average is technically 30 points but what are you gonna do yeah um enterprise dataless yeah i mean that's how i felt about it it was mostly average that's just an example of a an average episode of star trek in this project so far second place with 35 points deep space nine sons of moog that was your first place on the week yeah that was uh, I was three points ahead of you on that one, but you were eight points ahead of me on the wounded. Yeah, it's and mostly because of that baffling O'Brien conversation. <laughs> yep, it was because I gave I gave it a three in characterization, and you gave it a seven. That was half of those points right there. Uh, uh, forty points. They do win the week. It is the thirty fourth win for TNG, so they're eight up on Deep Space Nine now. Yeah, and like I said before, thirty two up on Voyager. Uh, Enterprise is still hanging out with six wins. Been a while since they notched one. Yeah. Um, but again, they've won three times as many as Voyager. Uh, next time we do this. Uh, yeah, we get some interesting ones for sure. Uh, we will be watching Devil's Due. Will it be? Uh, okay, I already know I'm going to have three hours of stuff to talk about. But is it? <laughs> yeah. will it score well? I don't actually know. Everyone get a fucking comfortable chair for sure because a lot of shit happens in this one. Uh, this lady shows up at Picard's quarters in a negligee. Yeah, and he's not uh, into it. There's long, there's a long procedure, procedural arguments yeah. about whether uh, a religion should get any credit for actions that you took in its name. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid it's going to have a take and therefore we'll score a lot of points. I just, we'll have to see. Yeah, we will see. It is a wild one either way. Uh, it's definitely not one of the best episodes of TNG no. to watch, but we'll see. Yeah. 
Deep Space Nine Bar Association. Mm. I think Rom unionizes against his brother in that one. Yeah. So that'll probably you know, have that'll a take. be fun. That'll have a take. And I was not excited to see that that was coming up, but I wasn't nope. surprised because nope, nope, I nope. know eventually DS Nine turns into just alternating Ferengi week, non Ferengi week, Ferengi week, non Ferengi week. Yeah, and I don't remember for sure, but like it feels like that would be a good place for Rom's relationship with Lita to start. Oh, is in this unionization. Yeah, that so. makes sense. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Voyager Killing Game Part 2 is definitely going to be GIs in a firefight in Voyager's quarters against the Herogens, So, Without having seen it in many years, feels like a candidate for worst episode. I mean... <laughs> like, it's going to be hard to beat the current worst episode, so just, like, hanging around the number is, <laughs> yeah. pretty, is a oh, accomplishment. Just allow me to remind you that the current worst episode scored three points. Yes. so it may not beat it, but it, I think it could put up a pretty impressively low score. Three points is so wildly bad waking moments. Um, that moon, though, dude. <laughs> I forgot when I, when I fucking invoked its name earlier that that was the all-time worst. <laughs> that was only in week 80. Oh, my God. That feels like so long ago. It feels like a long time ago, but it was literally five episodes ago. Uh, I gave it one point for characterization, and you gave it two points for characterization. What a fucking amateur hour that was. What a piece of trash. God. And Enterprise is um, an episode called Observer Effect. No I don't know what that's about. Yeah, nothing. Uh, And then, of course, next week is a Star War. That is right. Yeah, for just even more punishment, uh, we we are watching, and you should watch The Phantom Menace. No, you shouldn't. Don't tell them they should watch that. It's a terrible uh, idea. I uh, tried to make Katie watch this last weekend. And? And we watched Through the Pod Race. <laughs> Dude, that is a lot, though. Which is over half. There was a full hour left when we stopped it. I'm surprised that it's only over half because I think the pod race is about an hour, isn't it? Yeah. But at the end of the pod race, we were like an hour and 17 minutes into a two hour and 15 minute movie or something. So, (laughs) uh, and, uh, Matt, I don't want to spoil it. And viewers, I don't want to spoil it for you. There hadn't been one good scene. (laughs) I'm really worried about it. I don't know if I... I'm going to have to do it in bites. I don't think I can sit down and do it. It's tough. It's also quite long. Um, I The idea of having to take detailed notes on it mm-hmm. is, is giving me chills. Like, I for sure I'm going to do another round in the K-pop bracket this week <laughs> Just because I will sane. need to procrastinate, definitely. Ugh. Uh, it's rough, but that's what we're doing. So uh, next week we'll... Be, We'll do this again, the same rubric, but for the Phantom Menace, episode one. Mm, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Send us some mail. Eventually, we'll get back to a mailbag. We'll do this week with Star Trek, then we'll do Star Wars, then Star Trek, then mailbag. Um, get back to that Billy Joel. Yep, we got the fucking... We should never, we never... have said that we'll do anything anyone says. <laughs> it's the... I mean, I feel... We have, we literally said that so many times is the problem. I feel attacked. Um, we just had absolutely no ground to refuse this project. Anyway, send us some mail. That's uh, uh, at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Um, go to BrotherDate.com to check out that Billy Joel bracket. Um, yeah, it's all up there. Send us some mail. Maybe even uh, a cool voicemail. That's uh, brothers at BrotherDate.com. 
uh, iTunes and podcatchers that catch iTunes pods. And I believe that's it, everybody. Go, go lay on a pile of rats. Hey, I heard hey, you guys got a cool bar on this ship. On my on my ship, all we got is rats. You seem, you seem cool. <laughs> sometimes the not like sometimes the rats they they bite you. This seems better. I I ain't seen one damn rat yet. <laughs>